You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, the running public. We have such dark clouds and snow here that I have to have a light on so you guys can see me. You guys got some legitimate snow. Uh, Like five inches, and right now it's just dumping again, and it's like... Feels like the world's gonna end. I'm sitting here at what 9:30 in the morning, and my house is like pitch black. Like it's about to be dark for the day. It's weird. No, we're dark here too because of just we got we have rain instead of snow. But I saw Allie and Bill Perry posted pictures, mm-hmm. and I thought it was from last winter. No, like wow, those kids look really old. I, I and it was from yesterday. I didn't realize how much snow you guys got. Talking about the weather is lame, but we have snow like programmed like three out of the next five days here already. It's bull crap. What about out east? well it's just dreary it's warm it's been super humid it's like a cloud is sitting at street level is it it's still early for snow for you even right like are the leaves even off the trees no not all no, right. they're gonna, that, that's gonna like fuck stuff up that happened here one time and it breaks the branches like crazy when the leaves are on it gets super heavy like people yeah. are losing power with like six inches of snow one time before halloween well they say the average high temp this t- this like day is like 55 degrees here in minneapolis and we don't have a day that's programmed above 35 for the next 10 days is like a high. So like we're just in a weird cold spell. Kirk, turn sideways real quick. You have hair poking out the back of your head. I've never seen oh, that. Oh, wow. Uh, this is my ponytail or mullet. It's starting you, to grow. You look like you could have a mullet. Yeah, oh, dude, I, I'm, I'm gross right now. I haven't had a haircut since June. Jeez, I've never seen your hair that long. Yeah. Got that flow. Like those lacrosse players that always have it out the back of their helmet. It could be a thing now. For you. I just, you know, I have a job where I can put on a hat and go to work and I don't need to like look presentable. So I guess I'm just rolling with that. I love the post the other day with just the hat and like (laughs) naked besides that. (laughs) Listen, I know what sells, Rich. (laughs) I know what sells. It's better than Bracken's cut off hoodie. Well, come on. The Belichick? What do you, what'd you have? Like full cut off? Yeah. Sleeveless hoodie. I wonder about those because Spartan was selling some of that on their, like their website. And I was like, I, I can usually think of some p- sort of purpose, but I'm not sure what the purpose is of that. Could you elaborate? What, like, why? <laughs> well, <laughs> I wore it for our last podcast, and Kirk joked about it. But then the same day, I recorded one with Matt Davis, and he uses video. I didn't realize he's going to be. And so I had just worked out, and I threw on the hoodie over the top, and I just had a backwards head on. So I looked like a real big douche on camera. <laughs> I forgot he used video. <laughs> Just came as you were. It's like, here I am. Well, I explained it late. last time. It's cold in this room, but my pits like to sweat a little bit when I podcast. So the cutoff hoodie was it's the best of both worlds. I can actually identify with that, like like having weird, cold, kind of yeah. drippy sweat. But does did you cut the sleeves off or did you buy yeah. it? No, I popped those sleeves off. And it's a size too small. It's a size too small. It was, it was back when I was with Reebok and they they always sent out the wrong sizes for things. And oftentimes the wrong genders. I'd get women's stuff all the time. And if it was the right size, Lisa got it. And if not, it was just useless. So they sent me, it was a size too small, but it was one of the most comfortable dynamic sweatshirts I've ever received. It's a weird word to use for a sweatshirt, but I could run in it in winter and it breathed, but it was warm. 
And it was just, the more I washed it, the more it got too small. So eventually the sleeves were up to like midway up my forearm. So I just, I popped those babies off. It got smaller. You got yokeder. Yeah. So then I started using it as a running vest. I cut the sleeves off and it was a vest. And then after the workout, I was sweaty, but I was going to get chilly as my sweat dried during the interview. So I, I popped that on. It was the appropriate time for a piece. Listen, like there, there, there's a whole process here. I, I just hear it. a bunch of excuses to wear a douchey outfit, and you really laid them out there one by one for us. <laughs> I, so I don't need an excuse to dress douchey. <laughs> you don't need an excuse to wear those glasses you're wearing right now either. No, these are. It messes with me. You want to know why those glasses? Then we need to get into this this podcast. But what they mess with me is this. They're so reflective, Bracken, that I can see myself on the screen reflected in your glasses. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow, you're right. You're welcome. If you really look close, it's really messed up. So Rich and I were talking about this before you hopped on, but these are blue light filtering and gold rimmed aviators. So you look good and you protect your eyes. No, no. Well, then you got an excuse for those too. That yep. with the cutoff hoodie is the perfect podcast combination. Thank you. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> so our guest today, our guest today is Mr. Rich Ryan. Hello. Hello. How are you doing, man? How are you? I'm fantastic. Bracken, you, how are you? I'm doing well. I don't care how Bracken is. So, so Rich, Rich Ryan, why don't you tell us real quick who, who you are? Um, I think most people listening probably already know who you are because you have the Reinforced Running Podcast, which is a fantastic podcast. If you haven't listened to it, you need to check it out. Thank you. Um, but give us, a, give us a quick snapshot of who you are. We're going to dive into a lot, of, a lot of different things with you today that we're excited about. But um, who are you, Rich? Cool. Well, this is a hard question, right? This is always one of those big questions that are really hard to just like succinctly. Yeah, but if there's anybody that can handle it, it's you. I've never posed this question to anybody. Wow. that's This is something now. So yeah, I'm an endurance coach, OCR athlete based out of Philadelphia. I've been running and coaching. I've been running for 15 plus years, been coaching for about, I think eight to 10, I, I guess I would I say at this point. And yeah, just really been dived headfirst into the OCR world and have been trying to build up um, athletes as well as myself to just kind of push this sport forward. How was that? How was that? Are you sure? No, that's actually perfect. That gives us a number of segues. Yeah. Perfect. I'm I'm not sold. (laughs) (laughs) You want more? Yeah. Which one is on you? Bracken, Bracken Crocker. Who are you? Tell the people who you are, Bracken. Uh, <laughs> I have sleeveless sweatshirts and aviators. <laughs> no, we're not here for me. We're here for Rich. I know. I just wanted to see if you could do better. Okay. We have a a lack of ego in the sport, which is really cool. There are some, but for the most part, people underplay who they are. And so I'm just going to just set the hook right now on the audience. Rich just got done holding what? 509 pace for 10 straight miles last weekend. It averaged out to 507. Sorry, 507. I shortchanged you. So 507 for 10 miles. So Rich comes to us with a running pedigree here. And he is kind of the classic example that we use of a stud runner who has thrown himself into off-road racing and OCR in specific. And that that's a perfect person to bring on this podcast because it he epitomizes both ends of the spectrum. He can run, he can run off-road and do OCR, and he coaches both sides of it. And he also has his own podcast. So it's a great confluence of, of characteristics to bring on this show. And he won't brag about himself, but he's a stud. Thank you. Yeah, I, f- I feel like that we are very much aligned on on those things. And the things and the the philosophies that you guys bring to the table, I identify with very much. Um, and even, do you, do you guys give Obstacle Dominator the 
credit for the start of this podcast or do you give reinforced running the start? Cause we had a three-way podcast over a year oh, ago. We did. We yeah. did. Didn't we? Yeah. I don't think any of us give obstacle dominator any credit for the start. <laughs> no, we don't. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess you rich. It's you. It's me. I'll take it. You're but, our parent company. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, let's, let's just, just to build a little more credibility to you, just with what Brack and piggybacking what he had said about, you just did a 10 mile time trial for no absolute reason. I think because was it the broad street 10 mile? There's a race that happens around this time of year. You normally run, um, you, Mark Godet, who I think people are starting to know, and David Magida got together and just 10 mile time trial, mm -hmm. basically. Yeah, exactly. So it was actually for the Army 10 miler. The Broad Street is the one that's in Philadelphia, and that's in May. That got pushed back to be virtual actually the week before, but Mark had hit me up. He's like, Hey, we're trying to put together a team. And David owns Elevate Fitness in DC. So he's putting together a team as well. He's like, Hey, if we can get three or four studs here, we can put a team together and we could win this virtual race. Cause this virtual race actually had results. Like you submitted your results. You had to show a Strava uh, segment or just like your watch or something. I don't think they really dove into it that much, but if you had a time and a distance, they gave it to you. So there's actually results for it. So, um, I drove down to DC from Philadelphia and we just had a little race. Yeah. So Mark, David and I, we just, set out to, and to go hit it. And the course David set up was really, really nice. Uh, it was m not all downhill, but like gradual downhill, the first three miles and then pancake flat. And then, and then it was a perfect day, you know, so it's a culmination of those things, especially coming out of the summertime where it's super hot and humid. And that, that first really nice chance you get to, to pop a race in the nice weather. That's when the fitness really kind of comes around. And, uh, we started off pretty light because Magita went in there thinking he wanted to go sub 54. He's in good shape. Have you guys been following him? Yeah. Quick sidebar. We interviewed him a couple months ago and he mm -hmm. was at like 190 pounds and talking about how he still has wheels. And I talked about how he's a great workout runner and the kind of guy who can pop stuff out of shape. And suddenly he comes out here and runs what? 516 for 10 yeah, miles. He, he was 53 low, like 53, 20, 20 something, right. I think. Yeah. So at 185 pounds or something like that. He's still jacked. Yeah. He's still big. And uh, he, <laughs> That's crazy. so he was like, all right, let's go out. He was talking about like five forties at the start. And I came into it thinking like five tens. So, and, and Mark and I were very similar in terms of our running, uh, fitness ability. Actually, Mark took me down in the running public's burpee 10 K. So I was mm -hmm. second place to him. He smashed that thing. So Mark's an awesome runner. He's just super tough. Um, so I figured him and I were almost going to kind of be racing this thing out. And then at the start, David's like, Hey, can we hang on just to kind of be out like 540s, but then we ended up going out like 530 and then 520 something. And then we just kind of dropped it into 510s and Magita just hung on. So he ran like the toughest race because getting it over your head in a race that's that long is not an awesome you way to do it. You started at 540 and you averaged 507. Yeah. We, we, oh boy. The last, the, like my last 5K was uh, 1527. So there was like a 454 in there, like at mile eight to nine or something like that. So Brack, like, and how are you feeling about your 5k time trial? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I might sign off. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think both of us should and Rich should just monologue the next two hours. Hey, it's, it's nice. Well, this time around, cause last year I did something fairly similar at, at the broad street run. And then the next week was big bear and they're just completely different races. And it showed like I went, I, I was feeling great about my fitness. And then I went out into uh, big bear and just got worked. You ran fifty two fifty or something last year, right? Right. Yeah. So I and and then, and then you went and got passed by Lindsey Webster. 
at the uh, at the spear throw. Uh, like a gentleman, I gave her my spear because you were the gentleman. I figured it meant more to her than she needed it more than I did. So decided uh, to give it up. Um, yeah, so I was getting absolutely dominated that race, and it, it was just one of those moments where it's like, okay, like where, like how fit and how does that translate to the actual uh, mountain course? And and those are these lessons that I've learned along along the way is figuring out where to spend my time and and where it's actually going to pay off where this year was cool because like there wasn't any real race to prepare for. So I hadn't spent much time in the mountains. I hadn't spent much time in the trails. I was just kind of hitting roads because that's what I had. And I re- even like the gyms, I mean, you know, what it's been like over the past several months that I re- haven't even really had gym access. So I've just been running. I've been running since like March. Are you light right now? Not as light as I thought I was going to actually at Jacksonville, I was like 163, which is pretty light. It's probably the lightest I've been in OCR. And I'm probably like 167, 168 right now, even without gym access. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Do you think that we're going to go back in your, we want to get to know you from the beginning, but I just got to ask right away. I'm just looking at like your, your runability and then your race performances in OCR and they don't correlate. You know that, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, that's like the elephant in the room here. And it is for a you're not alone there. Part of me just feels like you're kind of on the Ryan Woods plan. Like, like you have the potential to be like as dangerous as a guy like Ryan Woods. He just took him what, how many years, Bracken? Three, four years of yeah. taking his lumps before he finally put it together. Granted, it was a little bit of obstacle efficiency and a little bit of strength problems for him. You guys are different that way, I feel like. Are you are you just biding your time until like you're the dude on the podium, like at US National Series races or do you feel like you've you've tried and failed and aren't going back? Yeah, so it's it's a a combination of of those things. Not the tried and failed thing, kind of the tried and failed thing. But I'm gonna go back. So, yeah, yeah. so sometimes with this with these running times, like I feel almost silly that my times are so fast and my results aren't at like where I would hope they would be. Not to discredit your results. Sorry, not to jump in again, but like, like you've performed well, you've won Spartan races, you've taken top tens in us national series races. It's to no detriment to your fitness or performance, but I don't even know if there's another guy other than Botrys that would go out and run 50, whatever you ran in the 10 mile right now. You might, you might beat everybody in our sport in the 10 mile right now. We just talked about minimum 5k requirements for being a top 10 at a national series race. And we said that you've got to be able to run 1530, 1540 to be top 10 at a national series race. And you just split 1520 something from what mile six through nine of a Mm -hmm. 10 miler. So, (laughs) So clearly you're, your speed requirement exceeds what you need. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And and there's a, a balance with that. And for a long time, I was just trying to see if the fitness component could catch up and how, like if there was a, a, a level of fitness that could be achieved that would just be so superior that the rest would kind of take care of itself. And, and that's certainly not the case. And there's definitely an element of experience with the results that I've had. And kind of putting myself out there. Like last year was the first time I ever went to a national series race and figuring out how I stack up and, and how to race against those type of athletes is there was definitely a learning curve. And then also putting these flat results into trails and mountains, they're not apples to apples and then and doing my best to figure out how to manage that type of terrain. And that's really been the biggest obstacle for me is, you know, my life, I haven't really designed my life around being in the mountains and I've never really had this passion for being on trails. I didn't grow up doing trail runs. So I've really kind of had to do my best to get on these, on that type of terrain, because that, that is ultimately my biggest obstacle. If something is really technical um, in terms of downhills, 
or if there is just a, a crazy ascent and altitude is not awesome for me either. Um, so that's, that's really where it is. And, and it's just kind of how I've built my life up into this point and kind of where I live and, and what I do and what I actually do have passion for training. I find that I do like running fast. I just like to, to kind of press it, you know, and I like being in the gym and doing CrossFit style workouts. And those things aren't always going to get the best results when it comes to a big bear or a Utah or a Tahoe, but that's just kind of like, I just like training that way. So I'm doing my best to get to the trails when I need to and work on those things. But it really just kind of comes down to, to preference of how I, I like to and style of training is kind of where I'm at now. I had that exact conversation just yesterday with someone who said, I'm kind of struggling with this because I know I'm leaving something on the table, but I just enjoy my lifestyle so much. And I'm not doing this to win a gold medal in the Olympics and I'm not doing it for a six figure contract. So what's your take? Should I go all in and structure my life around that percent or two increase and just leave nothing on the table? Or should I just prioritize happiness and race the best I can off the lifestyle I love living? And that's, that's something that only the athlete can really answer. Right. And, and it's not even necessarily about like not going all in because I am all in and the amount of training that I do put mm -hmm. forward and the, the amount of competition that I, 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 I strive for. I really love this, the competition of this, but it, it just boils down to doing 100% of what I can do with what I have available to me. You know, like I could easily move to the mountains, but I do have a life here. I've set up my everything that I, that I like to do here. So I just need to do 100% of the things that I can do and, and make sure that everything else is in line and not necessarily think, oh, I'm not in the mountains, so therefore I'm not going to do that well. I'm still going to to crank at it and do everything I can to get as fit and as good at obstacle course racing as possible, but I'm just not going to do it in the mountains. You, uh, I laugh when I see you do hill work in the city because I look at your Strava data and you, the hill you use is just like, you know, I like to, we like to talk about how bad we have it here, but if you're stuck in Philly... You got it worse. Although you can, what, two-hour drive to Palmerton or something like that? Yeah, two-hour drive to Palmerton. I don't have a car. So uh, that's another part of it. But so I'm working on that. So are you uh, downtown Philly? Yeah, like right in, uh, if you're familiar, like Rittenhouse area, it's like literally right in the middle of everything. Like I walk out and there's the subway entrance. And uh, so it's very, very urban. Subway doesn't take you to Palmerton? I believe it. I get off one stop and then uh, well, just doesn't quite make 60 it. mile run to, to it. Yeah. Not, <laughs> quite, not quite there. Um, so we're actually fortunate to have like a trail system. There's not a lot of elevation, obviously like, and you can get to them. It's not super convenient, but I can get there, but it's about a five mile run to get to a hundred foot hill. So mm. it ends up being a big effort to kind of put some stuff or just like a bike ride out and just a long day. Well, that's the difference, right? I have a seven mile or six mile jaunt to my hundred foot hill, mm. but I'm in a not downtown Philly, you know, right. I can, I can drive there in 12 minutes. It's, exactly. it's a different lifestyle when you're gridlocked by concrete. And then you could put like a bucket in your, your trunk or a sandbag. One time I took an Uber, I got in an Uber with a bucket, a bucket <laughs> full of rocks. And I was like, take me out to this thing and drop me off in the middle of this field. It was like raining that day. And this guy's like, this is where you're going to go. I was like, <laughs> don't worry about it. I, I stashed it in the woods, like in the woods by this hill. So I had it there and it, it, it it stayed there for about a year, but then somebody found it and it's gone now. So I got to replace the bucket. Oh man. I remember you seeing, showing photos of that or on your Instagram story of hoping your bucket was buried in a pile of brush. Still. Yeah. So yeah. That's what you got to do, huh? Just doing what I can. Yeah. Just venturing out, getting poison ivy, picking up the, picking up a bucket and running up a hill. 
Worth yeah, it. Let's go live that. Yatsko had sandbags, rocks, bucket, and uh, logs stashed in the woods that he would use at the base of his hill. Yeah. I mean, you can make it happen if you can figure out logistically how to put it there and just don't care about losing it. Going back to you and your running versus obstacle course racing quickly, before we dive into your past, I feel like there's a host of athletes out there or the type of person who, and I actually think I fall into this category and have to fight it as well, is like being a rhythm runner. Like, mm-hmm. like when the, you know, you're a guy who studied cadence, for example, and you fixed your biomechanics and you fixed your stride length. I know you spent a big block of time working on that a few years past, which made a big difference, which I want to ask you about as well. But, um, is there some is there some merit to that? Like some people can just get in a rhythm and cruise. And what is the disconnect between doing that and then like technical terrain suddenly like it it's sort of like is a notch out of your engine somehow? Like what do you think happens there? Because there's a lot of people that feel that way. I agree, and I I do feel like if I can kind of get set into a pace, it's just kind of automatic. And that doesn't necessarily serve me well in obstacle course racing, but it does allow me to put out a, a huge effort that can kind of build my confidence. So I'm, I'm confident in starting and stopping and moving, but like, yeah, the rhythm, you're yeah, getting knocked out of the rhythm. It's not like that. I mentally I'm like, oh, okay, I'm out of my rhythm now. It's just that I can never express the full amount of potential output that I have within me, you know? So like being able to run five Oh sevens through 10 miles, like I can never quite get to that level of fitness when things are broken up every 50 feet, you know, and that's kind of how I think about it and and trying to navigate it that way and, and trying when I'm into obstacle course racing, trying to not do these type of runs that are just so long and just more of an ego boost. It's like, okay, great. Like my threshold pace is five tens. I, that's awesome. But you don't really run to the level of like threshold pace that you run on the road that you would run on the trail. So it, it really doesn't correlate that well. Have you guys found like similar? What do you guys think? I'm, I'm glad you're talking about this because there are, I think there are two distinct ends of the spectrum. There are rhythm runners and there are broken rhythm runners. And I am clearly a broken rhythm runner. Totally. You are clearly a rhythm runner. And I look at the guys who can, it's almost like the acceleration costs you once. And once you're up to speed, your stride just maintains. Like, all right, I've, like you said, I've clicked in and now I can keep going with that. And that is so costly to me. There is no rhythm to it. If I'm on the road running a five mile race or a 10 mile race, every stride costs me more than the previous run. But <laughs> if I go off road on technical terrain, every time I switch stride types or terrain types, it's like I get a reset on my power bar. Mm-hmm. And so I can't even understand rhythm running and you can't even fathom getting a reset by going through mud or going through. And so people tend to avoid, I think at times, training the opposite where mm-hmm. I know a tempo run for me has to be flat because I have to work the weakness of rhythm running and where a rhythm runner might have to tempo on broken terrain so that they can get that race effort versus race heart rate. And it's a really tricky thing to change your training based on the opposite edge of your sword. Exactly. And that's definitely one piece of OCR training that's been so fascinating and kind of fun. I'm definitely frustrating at times because things aren't, don't progress in this linear fashion and they don't, the results don't show up on race day as they, as you may anticipate they were from your training. But that's something I've been doing. Like do I do tempo runs and then every two minutes I stop and do like four burpees. So not like a huge, big chunk of, of broken running, two different things, just something that is going to interrupt my, uh, my pace frequently so I can get back to it and, and training that way. And it's hard 
from a running background mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. you want those metrics, right? You want that that pacing and then have and being able to bring it back to your table to bring it back to your log to figure out what it is and how well that went. You just kind of have to feel it and, and be like, okay, that didn't suck as bad as last time going from the burpees to the run. And, uh, and, and Bracken, do you actually think you get a reset when you get broken? Or do you think that you just don't lose as much as like I would or something? I have a theory on all this. I'm going to jump in with, I want you to answer first and then I'll go. I, I truly feel like I get a reprieve. I feel like when I'm running unbroken that I have this like this fatigue or lactate bar that's just rising, 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 and it's getting to danger point. And for me, it's like taking the 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 pot off the burner for a second and the water cools down and then I can put it back on and then the bubbles start to rise again and I pull it off for a second. And it just reduces the frequency of the direct contact to the heat hmm. and the bubbles stop rising as frequently. Whereas if I just keep it on there, it bubbles so quickly that I like it's over. It, it boils over the top and I'm done. But every time I can take that pot off the burner for just a second, it gives me a couple more minutes to get back at that level for a couple more minutes. And so maybe if I could only hold that for 20 minutes before I boil over, if I can break it up into six minute chunks, maybe I can get 40 minutes worth of work before I boil over. And that's hmm. how it feels to me during races. Interesting. And that's for the terrain as well. Not because I'll feel that way sometimes for after. sure. Really? Because descents, climbs, they all feel like they're a reset for me. Huh. Because, yeah, the descents, and the, the descents in particular are what really kind of take me out. One, because of the rhythm. And then I, like, I get frustrated and I'll lose contact. But, like, the, for the obstacles, I can, I can get that. Like, coming off of a carry or coming off of the rings or something like that, I get a little, a little bit of a boost, but not in the terrain. Kirk, what is, what is, your, what is your theory? That was a good analogy, Brack, and it would have been a better if it was a car analogy, but I'll take the, boil- I'll take the, boil- I'll take the boiling water. Here's what I think. I think what happens to rhythm runners is, I mean, you have an extensive running background, Rich, right? Um, you Were you ever like a lateral athlete at any point in your somewhat adult life? You were. Yep. Well, I think as a high school athlete. High school athlete. Okay. We'll get to that. But um, I just think that there comes a point when you're running in broken rhythm where like muscular fatigue is like slowly chinks chinks taken out of your armor when your muscles like, cause you're, you're, you're using such like a linear stride when you're running on flat rhythm terrain. Right. And, and those legs just take just those little hits in that core and the hips and the trunk and the ankles. And, and pretty soon, like, like you're just not able to keep up with your engines fitness level because other things are kind of going first. So you're, you're almost not able to access what you could access on flat roads because maybe your body, either one isn't predisposed like Bracken is who plays pickup basketball twice a week and still does lateral movement or he did before his knee surgeries. His body's accustomed to shifting directions and terrain change. He's been doing it his whole life. Um, and so I just think that it's, it's like, it's like when the fatigue sets in into all those small muscle groups, like you, you just put a governor on accessing like your threshold. And so it's harder to access until maybe that side of your fitness comes around to the point where your, where your threshold fitness is. You understand what I'm saying there? Yeah. And I think about that sometimes, like I've gotten a, I actually got a reaction ball, like one of those ones that like a bouncy ball that has like mm-hmm. the different spheres, at the top. So when you drop, you don't know which direction is going just to help kind of train that, that thing, yeah. it's kind of moving back and forth and, and just anything that is going to get me out of that type of rhythm. But again, it's just hard to quantify. <laughs> it's like, is this getting better? I don't know. It's true. Well, it's like, you know, you go run through some sticky mud or you're back and forth on a single track winding and those hips are way more engaged. Adductors, abductors, different like 
parts of your hamstrings and quads are emphasized over others instead of just that simple linear click, 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 click. Mm -hmm. And I just think it's just, it's one of those things. I mean, how do you work it? You probably just pound it to death, obviously. But I think that's what misses. That's what's missing for a lot of guys is that and Bracken innately you, you must have that ability. And so you switch that and it causes your engine to rev a little lower for a second. And that's the breath you need to, to stop your, your bubbling water from boiling over and you can get back to it. And yet you can't, you can't even fathom the other side of the coin until you try working it a ton, getting on the road, the idea of running that and Megita's always had that ability. He's always had the ability to roll on a road run. And I've just, it doesn't make sense to me the same way that to you, it doesn't make sense that I could be get a relief like, oh, if we could just run off road for 20 seconds, then I could get back to it. We're just different ends of the spectrum. And I've always coveted that ability to rhythm run. Like when we get to Tahoe or I would even consider Alabama was too rhythm for me, you know, and other yeah. people are like, oh, there's too many sticks on course. It's, it's, we, we always covet the other side. And do you think it would be because of the time that you spend playing basketball and maybe like I like I'm more moving straight forward. Does that have anything to do with it? Just a training piece in general, just the amount of the time where you're, you're splitting your volume of where, like if then we just flipped and I played basketball twice a week and then you just filled that time with aerobic fitness. Do you think it would level out? I don't know. It's really hard to say because it's hard to, to distinguish where that road diverged. I remember mm-hmm. going back as a kid where something like soccer, for example, going the length of the field was exhausting. But as soon as I could turn around and play defense, I was recharged. Hmm. And and I think just it's one of those DNA things we can't control where mm-hmm. that's just my skill set is to break up my stride. And it almost feels like there's different systems I'm using where it's not one central governor on that. There's multiple governors. And if I can just switch back and forth, they last longer. And your governor's different. And and it's why it's why I was never a good long distance racer. It's part of it. It's rhythm destroys me. Hmm. And I do think about that though, the different, you know, governors or different energy systems. And if there's things that we don't quite know because they haven't been studied, I think I've heard you guys speak about that before. It's like, this is just new. So we don't really even mm-hmm. know what's available to us. And no one's studying what potentially we could be doing, what we could be using because there's no monetary purpose to do so right now but like is there something that's within you bracken that that is just developed or that it is just at a higher level of of something that we don't even have a measurement for at all it's Mm. why stride power meters Mm. interest me because i think it's the first development other than heart rate data and just pace that can show the actual output of what we're putting into the ground as terrain changes Mm. i wish there was something some sort of like tights you could wear that showed your loss of energy because we translate, you translate it so well straight into the ground in your rhythm running. Mm. And something's jutting out to the side energy wise is just spurting off where you talk about, I just can't hit my threshold output. Like, where is that going off to? And it'd be really nice if we could, t- if, if you could follow the loss of energy and power throughout a technical run. The power meters are the first, the first way that we can start to look at that that's interesting because that's that those that seem to be in development and, and trying to s- like make sure that they're even accurate at all but that would be a really cool way to yeah. to have to play with have you had one of those with like the stride pods 
No, I've talked to Kempson about it. I talked to a guy, uh, Ben Bogart, about it. A couple of people who use it and they like it. They all say the same thing. It's really cool and it's not quite there yet. And it just has, and I guess the changing of terrain is an interesting approach for it because it, it's not going to, like everyone's stride is going to be different. So just like m changing the mechanics is going to have a direct effect of what the these the power meter comes out of, you know, like, so it would be really bizarre on a trail to see like how these things change. Well, the subjectivity to that though would be then at what aerobic or anaerobic cost is that power costing you as well? Like, is it smarter to not put out as much power on these windy single tracks and save my aerobic or anaerobic system, my aerobic system, so I don't cra crash and burn. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like power yeah. is great to measure, but like then what, at what great Bracken's got a ton of power on the trail, on the rocks and the ruts, but what cost is it to his heart rate and his right. aerobic system? So like, there's like going to be subjectivity to that testing, no matter what I feel like. However, Bracken, that could be your, your billion dollar invention. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's people working on it, but what you could do is you could set a heart rate kind of like you did on your assault bike. I'm working for 20 minutes at 170 and you do that on a track and you do that on grass and you do it on a technical section and you watch at the same 170 heart rate, here's how my power fluctuation changes. That you can start to see where is my energy lost and then you can start to go and hit intervals and threshold work on those specific terrains and say, okay, if I lower my heart rate expectation to this, I actually clean up my power a little because I'm not doing whatever it is that's 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 bleeding out the power you you could start to refine that through the use of power even if it's not uh, if that power output is not correct because of the ground if it's consistently accurate you can use it as a tool hmm. and it would be interesting if it was like a gauge right and if it was like an app and it would like talk to you it's like back off here or like increase <laughs> cadence or you know slow heart rate down I don't think this is out of the question. This we might see this in the next decade. I mean, it's like five years. What happened to just throwing on a pair of Nikes with holes in them on your feet? No watch on your wrist. Some short shorts, running cotton shirt. Get out there, cotton shirt, and getting out there and just winging it. What happened to those? You could do that too. You could just time yourself <laughs> over the same terrain always and use perceived effort. It's going to be the same thing. It's just less exciting. Look at where we're at with our damn whoop straps and our fancy watches and heart rate data on your writ, on your forearm. Um, okay, I'm enjoying this conversation, but I do want to get to the a little more specifics to our gentleman caller here, Rich. Oh, yeah. Um, Rich, let's, let's just talk about your background a little bit. You Are you a Philly boy, born and raised? So I grew up like an hour and a half north of the city in a town called Easton in like a part of the, the state. It's called the Lehigh Valley. So it's like an hour and a half from New York and an hour and a half from Philly. So things are kind of split that way. And uh, that, that's where I, I grew up. Um, and tell us about growing up as a kid. Like, are, were you an athlete from day one? You strike me as the type. All, yeah, all athlete. Like nothing else. Like never a student, just always an athlete. Or were you my, really? Yeah. No, like I I look at you as a bit of a student when I hear you talk on your podcast. Like, obviously, you've gained knowledge uh, through, through study over time. But as a young guy, it was sports. Thank you. Yeah, I've cleaned it up a lot. I've, I try yeah. really hard. It's harder to speak well than, than to run fast, I found. It's, it certainly is. It yeah. Certainly is. Um, so, yeah, just I was obsessed with sports as a kid. Like, that was really everything for me. It just came easier. Uh, you played all the sports growing up, and basketball, baseball, football, all the way up until about the, the high school level. Um, where I had to kind of drop off a baseball. I was a, I was a pitcher and I could hit too until people started throwing curveballs. Did you ever th did you play baseball? I did not play baseball. Bracken played baseball. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So 
like I I could I could smash a baseball, but then people started throwing breaking balls and I I couldn't hit those at all. So when I started to get into like the higher levels of baseball, they kind of put me as like a pitcher and put me in the bullpen. I don't want to do that. I wanted to play the game. So after eighth grade, I decided ninth grade to go out for track. I played football uh, my freshman year in high school, basketball, and then I did track my freshman year to increase my vertical for basketball. I went out for the high jump. That's what that's that was the main goal. It's like I'm gonna get nasty at hoops. I'm gonna I'm gonna dunk soon, so I'm gonna go out for the high jump. And uh, from there, they stuck me in, and I showed up to the meets even though if that wasn't supposed to be in an event. And you know we had a big team, so if we were and we were good, so we would kill teams. And at the end, they would just throw in the scrubs into like a four by four just to see who could break sixty. Mm-hmm. And so they, they did that, and I was I ran like sixty my first time, and ran fifty nine. Then eventually, it was just kind of that athlete on the track for my entire freshman year until I ran an open eight hundred, and I ran three of those in a row, three or four in consecutive meets, and I ran like two fifteen, two eleven. 207, 205 as a freshman. And then the 205 as a freshman is yeah. like best in state. I ran 220. 220. <laughs> My freshman year, I ran 527 in the mile and 220 in the eight. Even splits on those two tw- on that 220? I probably you can't you can't really get out too hot at 220. <laughs> I was 20207, I think. Ooh, you guys nice. Yeah. Yeah. So once so I was actually like an alternate on the four bay at our district meet and like with the best kids on our team, these emerging seniors. So they were like, All right, you're you're gonna come out for cross country. And that that year before I, I was I was the starting cornerback on the football team, on the freshman football team. So you know that kind of puts you in line by the time maybe you're a junior or senior to be on like a starter on the on the varsity team. And like that mm-hmm. that's cool. But um they were just, they really just kind of got in my ear. And one of the best guys who ran for 18, he ended up running at Bucknell actually knows Magida. He said, uh, he just really kind of got my ear and started convincing me about like the potential that I could potentially have. So they convinced me to not play football. So then I ran cross for my sophomore year. I still play basketball all throughout high school though. So it was uh, cross basketball and, and track. You can jump in bragging. Oh, my mic's back on, huh? I took a quick a, a quick bathroom break for the listeners. That, that fight milk poured through me today. I couldn't even make it twenty minutes into our recording. What fight fight milk? We call it fight milk. Yeah, what's your fight milk concoction today? We got a little bit of beta alanine in there. Oh, mm. yeah. Got a little bit of beetroot powder. Yeah. We've got some some a little bit of caffeine in there. It's good. And then a little bit of meal to 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 get rid of the sour. Do, do you still do you get the? Uh, I just started taking beta alanine again, and I forgot about the the crawlies, the weird tingly sensation that happens. That's the only reason I take it, just to get that acute feeling. It's like okay, something's working. Here we go. You're, you're uncomfortable sitting still. Like it literally makes you like anxious. You need to move, and that's why it's great. The crawlies go to wherever my contact points are. If I'm laying down, I get them in my back. If I'm sitting down, I get them in my butt cheeks. Hmm. You get crawl. Crawlies in your butt cheeks. <laughs> yeah, it's gotta be goofy. Yeah. Um, so, so, okay. <laughs> we're derailing it. Back to Rich. Rich. Um, so you never like when you were playing uh, baseball or football, like you never, you never knew that you had like when you had to run laps, like you didn't, you had yet to discover this. I mean, in in eighth grade, I ran, I got like second in the school in the mile or whatever, the miracle mile we called it. It was just like on a path back and forth. It and I ran like five sixteen, I think. 
So like, I, and I knew I could run and I, they would do the lines in football where you would go down, like you'd go from sideline to sideline up and down the field for the hundred, uh, hundred yards. And like, yeah, I'd smoke everybody in that. But so I knew like, I knew like distance running wasn't really a problem. Oh, I also won our school's cross country in first and second grade. So <laughs> big deal. Big Where's deal. that trophy? I have it. Do you, you think I don't have a little metal? I have it. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I knew it was something, but it, and I liked track and field. Like I would watch track and field on TV. I remember watching as a kid and even watching the distance events. So it was something I was sort of drawn to, but I didn't necessarily know. I didn't know how good runners on like the cross country team were. I didn't know how, how fast people who ran track exclusively were compared to what I could potentially do until that my freshman year. And I was like, okay, these, they're not. And even that freshman year, I was like, these guys are crazy. They're unbelievable until I did like my first quarters workout that I wasn't doing with the sprinters and was doing with the distance runners. And I was like, oh, okay. Like they're not that good. <laughs> it's like, I, this isn't that, that hard at, at this point. And, and we had a good program and some good runners, which I was fortunate to kind of get pulled along and have some good mentors there. So, yeah, I mean, but it wasn't my, my, my parents weren't runners. There was no one really kind of pushing me to be a runner. Uh, so I just kind of found it. How come so many people, Bracken, I feel like you did this too. I think I know why so many people do, but just fight the running thing. Like they try to do every, even when it's like starting to knock on the door and be like, hey, you're good at this. People are like, nope, soccer is more sexy. Yeah. Or like running just gets skirted. I mean, Bracken tried in college. He just, he denied his running capabilities and went out for ball sports because running just didn't have the appeal. Like were you in that mindset? I went out for the soccer team because that's what the cool kids did. And and I wanted to get chicks and I knew chicks like the soccer guys. And I, that was my rationale at the time. What was yours? Yeah, not, not far off. There's one example. I mean, it, for me, it was always competition, honestly. So when I started to get good at cross country or track, like it wasn't a problem for me to kind of steer away from it. And I would always, I was a good basketball player growing up and uh, throughout. So I, I knew that I could be competitive in, in that as well. But uh, just an example of that, my junior year, cross country i had a great year i was like one of the best runners in the in the league not not ridiculous cross country is again rhythm not not my best is better on the track but i had a great year i got a lot of press and that fall i mean that winter i had one or two good games in basketball where people were kind of talking about it and no one even knew i was a cross country runner people thought of me as a basketball player after that moment so just like it is so under the radar and just people don't really care about it at all. But that I carried that more of like a chip on my shoulder. I hated that people didn't care. I wanted people to care. But uh, but I think it was just, I don't know, I thought I was good at other things. Like I was still competitive in other things. So that was kind of why I didn't want to give them up. It's a weird thing in our high schools in America, isn't it? You do yeah. well at running, but like, oh, that kid's a good runner. And it kind of stays in that bubble. You have a good basketball game, people talk to you like, hey, that was a great game, or you're a really good athlete. Well, why, why could, why do I have to be a good runner or a good athlete? Or why do I have to do something that's good for running or that people actually care about? We just don't value running here where other countries really value running. I think it's funny that people value sports at all. Looking back, I was like, why did people <laughs> care? Why was I popular in high school? Cause I was good at sports. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I was like a mm. bad student. Like I didn't offer value within the classroom at all. And, but people still, <laughs> people still liked me. So that was cool. I was like, this doesn't make any sense. Well, think about like a track or a cross country meet in high school. Like who's there? All the kids, parents. Yeah. And then people participating. <laughs> when you go to like a high, that's it. That's all that shows up at any of those. I remember my senior year, the sectional track meet, 
six of my friends came out to watch and it was like six non-track athletes friends and it was like the freaking super bowl dude yeah. i couldn't believe six people came from my school to watch me run it was like mind-blowing whereas a basketball game everybody's there it's a social function the yeah. girls the guys that's where you get the attention that, that's exactly it mm -hmm. at track you do something well let's say you blow past people on the final turn or you win a conference championship and the people that you're related to and your teammates got really pumped for you. And then, and I think that's why that, I mean, that's why I, I wouldn't give up the other sports in basketball. You do an individual play and you have 200 to 2000 people that all cheer for you right there in that moment. Chanting so, your name. No one chants your name on track. Have that no, problem. Nobody, nobody cares if you outkick somebody. No, in the last no you don't get your name chanted on the cross country course, but they'll they'll chant your name or your number in a ball sport because that's what you do. And it's a different when you are 16, 17, it is a different level of ego impact and gratification. Mm. If people know and care about what you're doing versus, oh, yeah, he's good at that other sport that happens that no one cares or watches. Did so when I started to get uh, really good at like track and I kind of put more focus on track and cross country and I didn't practice basketball as much. So my potential really kind of plateaued and actually kind of dipped down. Did that happen to you, Bracken, or were you just like, I'm still a ball, a ball sports player first? Well, we had a, we were in Milwaukee County, which is primarily an urban environment and basketball is prioritized and football and then soccer and then wrestling and then running maybe <laughs> but yeah. you ran in basketball the sprints, shorts. Track, track sprints in the middle yeah, yeah, yeah. Metro is a really big deal but you ran in basketball shorts or baggy sweatpants because you you would not dare do that so i didn't commit to mm -hmm. running my off seasons i went and lifted with the football team in summer and then afterwards we do shooting camp with the basketball team and I'd squeeze in a run or two per, per week. And that, and so I didn't ever commit. So I was, I was intentional about maximizing basketball and baseball. And then I'd run really hard in season. And so huh. my, probably my senior year over the winter was really the first off season. And we've gone over that in the past and we don't need to dwell on that. But the point was I didn't commit because of the stigma. I'd be hmm. really good in season, as good as I could be. And outside of it, I would try to just be nothing but a ball sport player so that I could avoid the the stigma. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Because in, in, in my world, I dove really hard into the track. I became kind of a track nerd in high school, um, while still caring about the ball sports as well. But I, I did dive all the way in because I found that even some of my college teammates, they just never really loved it. They never mm -hmm. like they just did it because they were good at it. And they kind of came mm -hmm. through and, and those were the ones who wouldn't train in the summer. And as soon as it ended, you know, they, they gained 20 pounds and never ran ever again. But by the time I was out of high school, I loved running. I was all in on it. Mm -hmm. So, um, and, as, and the results kind of came as well. By the time I was a the time I was a senior, I ended up running, uh, 150. I split 155. Do you always distinguish when you split versus open? Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Still good. I mean, it's legit, but yeah, I was just going to ask you about your, what, what were your high school accomplishments? What, what did you accomplish by the time you graduated? Time-wise, placing-wise, all that. Yeah. So our four rate was pretty good. We ran 757. Um, That's very good in high school. Yeah. Ooh. So that was our district. So the in Pennsylvania, it goes um, like your leagues into districts and the districts of qualifier into your state. And there's two, there's two levels, there's like triple A and, and double A, at least when I was there. So that was like a, the triple A district meet record. And that same meet, I ran 415, which also is a record Ooh. and still stands. It's still on there. So You're every 415 high school miler. And then I ran 414 the next week at, at the state meet. Yeah, that's quick. That's what our state meet was won in my junior year, senior year, I believe. So 
Yeah, how that, how that fair for you at state? It was third. It was uh, there was a dude named Craig Miller who ran at Wisconsin actually, mm-hmm. and he yeah, Miller, yeah. and he was running. He ran pro for a while as well. He was a sophomore and I was a senior. He ran like four oh nine. He ran, we, the splits were two oh eight, two oh one for him. So for me, it was like two oh eight, two oh six, and it was a guy. So second, third, and fourth all finished right in a row. So I was like a split second away from second place at the state meet. So I was really happy with that. I was really pleased with third. And That's then great. yeah, and then like nine. 30 something in the two mile, which I never really had a chance to, to run that much. Mm-hmm. What about cross? Um, cross uh, 1550. I was like an okay guy. I was in, I think like mid thirties at the state meet again, same kind of thing. And my con- my district and my conference were small. So we never really got a chance to get out and bang at these big meets. So by the time I got to the state meet, I was kind of overwhelmed and it, we just, we did well in like this, the small conference that we were in, but the state meet, we didn't do that. But you well. ran the five, you ran the five K not the three mile, right? Yeah. I would say 1550 is pretty, pretty legit in high school. Mm-hmm. Was yeah. you run Kirk in, in, in cross? Oh God. 1627, I think was my best. I ran 1620s like all of it. I couldn't break it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so then what about, then you went on to college, you got recruited pretty heavily, I assume. Yeah, I did get, I got letters from pretty much everywhere in the Northeast. Like I, I mentioned a couple of times, I wasn't a great student. So where I was getting in is where I was going to go. Uh, so I was my dad got all pumped up. I was getting like letters from like Princeton and Georgetown. He's like, we got to send these letters back. I'm like, okay, we'll send them back. What was your GPA in high school? Um, so we went on, we didn't do like the, the points, but my, my, uh, my class rank was bottom 50%. So we had like 600 kids. I was like 350 something like my class rank. So finally you're not underplaying something you did. <laughs> this is dude. that was actually a bad scene. It started in the 400s. I brought it up to 300s. My SATs was like 1030. I was like kind of I was pretty happy with that, too. I thought I was going to be barely getting like clearing house, but uh, <laughs> I got it. So I, I was able to kind of get through. Um, but yeah, right there, like I get some let I get some like I talked to the Georgetown, like William and Mary, like if you can get like 1250 or 1300 in SATs, like we could probably get you in. I'm like, probably not going to happen. But I did get into a couple of schools, one school down here in Philadelphia called uh, St. Joe's. Um, it's division one. It's mid-major Atlantic 10. So I think, I think Marquette's in the, no, mm-hmm. is Marquette in the Atlantic 10 now? Nope. They're not. They're big it, East. They're big yeah. East. I don't know when they'll, yeah, they, a bunch of splitting and moving around, but a lot of like the, some of the Midwest schools like Dayton, Xavier, um, LaSalle, those are the kind of schools. So the schools are decent at running. They'll get like a national qualifier, maybe an All-American here or there. The teams will never qualify for cross. But uh, so it's like decent running. It's not great. And by the time I was there, the, the training changed quite a bit. And I had a lot of lifestyle struggles those early years. And, what do you mean by uh, that? You know, just I wasn't ready. You know, I wasn't ready to be uh, on my own. I wasn't ready to be a collegiate athlete. I didn't necessarily knew what it meant to... 100% commit to something. So, you know, I was like, my sleep is never priority. Was it never priority? It was definitely drinking too much. I was eating like shit. And, and then the, all these things kind of spiraled. Then I started to perform really poorly. And those early years, I, def- I put on some weight almost immediately when I got to school. And then it kind of, and then that manifested into more or less an eating disorder where I just needed to lose weight to try to perform better because all I had at the time was just my performance in track and field, right? Like I said, I wasn't necessarily a student. I went there to do track and field. Everybody, like even before, like people liked me because I did good in sports. So at the time, I just thought like if I don't perform well, like where is my value here? So that- You're on scholarship. I was on scholarship, yeah. And that was right in my freshman year. So I I came in and, and just really- underperformed and just didn't have a good time being at school and didn't have, didn't have much guidance 
um, our, our coach, he's very much like a nuts and bolts coach. He wasn't that coach who was going to be empathetic or really kind of connect with the the students or the, the athletes. So to him, he was looking at me like, what is your problem? And I was like, I don't really know. I don't really know what I'm doing. So I was kind of on my own. And, uh, and that was actually what made me dive into the, this side of things, like the science of things and, and diving into nutrition a lot more and trying to figure that out on my own because that, I didn't have any other resources. So freshman year how did, sucked. How, how did the food issue, that unhealthy relationship, how did that manifest and how long did that permeate your training in your life for? So, you know, at the time you hear that, you know, calories are like king, right? And and at the time I thought everybody just burned 2000 calories. I thought that's what it was. You know how they say the daily recommended is like 2000 calories. Like, I guess that's what every person does. So I was like, if I can have way less than that, I should lose some weight. So I was probably eating 500 calories for most of that year after probably like 500 calories quarter, a day. Yeah. Like I wouldn't eat breakfast. I'd have like a bar for lunch and have like a salad for dinner or something like that. Are you retraining so, with the team? Yeah. So like, like tra regular training. I didn't get injured. I got, I got really, really sick later in the year, like a like a nasty respiratory infection that I've never had something like that since that I, I would cough so hard that when I'd be finished coughing, the wind was knocked out of me. Like I couldn't breathe after a coughing fit. And that, that spanned from like January until May. So that Did you lose a lot of weight, not a ton. <laughs> like I, I, I didn't know why I, I and I just would hope to do so. And I'm sure like thinking back now, there was definitely like, uh, like doing that big suppression of calories definitely led to like a binge, oh. right? You know, yeah, that, and that's metabolic sabotage. It, totally. Like it was way too low. And then just not having any sort of plan would just lead to the, a massive binge. Or if, you know, I went out and, and had like some drinks or something like that, then everything would be off the rails. So just like that crazy cycle, like that going up and down and, and those things don't serve you well either in terms of performance. Right. So it wasn't even like, Oh, I would eat a lot and then perform well. I would just like feel like shit and, and eat terrible food and then feel really bad about myself. And that's when like mm -hmm. things like purging would, would, would come into play and also a manifest manifestation that way, just cause I would feel so bad about what I had done that I just have to get rid of it and try to set that reset button. And mm -hmm. yeah, so that was the majority of my freshman year. And that was, and again, all by myself. Like I didn't tell anybody about that until you know, maybe like three or four years ago. Even did, did you have outside pressure? Sorry to interrupt. Did you have outside pressure from your coach or anybody else to do that, or was that like self, like prescribed? Like you're getting chubby, fix it. He was definitely a dickhead about it. Is if what is what you're asking, and that's like uh, yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. You don't get. It wasn't like pressure. It wasn't like hey, let's sit down. Like hey, let me explain to you what, what potentially could be happening here with your results. Um, I noticed that you gained some weight here. Or there, he's like, yeah, you're looking kind of fat. <laughs> it's like do something about it. It's like, do you notice how the other guys don't look like the same as you? I'm like, nah, I do now. Thanks. Well, you can coach guys like that, right? Because guys can handle it. Yeah, despite right. the fact that there's an underlying eating disorder in athletic men and non-athletic men in this country. Totally. And it's just the, the, what's going to happen to that kid when he's out of practice, right? And he, the kid can take it and handle it and, you know, laugh it off or whatever. But when he's by himself or, or you know, has to handle it on his own, it's what do you expect is going to happen? So that, that was kind of that was really what the whole freshman year kind of boiled down to. And um I think after a while, I just stopped caring into my sophomore year, but I did just double down. I was like, all right, I'm not going to drink anymore. <laughs> like that's something that needs to go out the window. Uh, and then I just started eating, eating a little bit more, doing a lot more research. And I didn't perform well again my sophomore year in cross. And I was like, I'm going to give this one more, one more season 
and see if I can really do well on the track. And if I'm not, I'm transferring. Maybe I'll run. I don't know. We'll, we'll see about about it when it what comes up. What have you done till this point, time wise? Time wise, so cross was a disaster. I don't even think. Oh man. So our team got really hurt, and that first year we went out to pre-nats at Terre Haute, yeah. And that was uh, a a really cool experience, just because I got to run on that course. You get to watch so often now, and I got like second to last in that race or something like that. So, so terrible. Um, so even on the, in cross country, it was still like 27 highs, 28 mostly, I think for the eight K on the track, I would just doing the 1500. I think I was running, I think I got like four Oh two. I think it was as fast as I got for the 1500 coming from four fourteen and you weren't even close to your high school times. You, you digressed big time, huge, huge digression. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what would that be? You could say that about a 420, 422 miles somewhere in there. Yep. Probably. Yeah. yeah. So I'm even surprised it went that well. <laughs> um, but yeah, so by the end of it, I, I, I was right about there. And I was I was excited to train for the next season. Like I did train over over the summer and came in and, and, and didn't do that well in cross again. They keep your scholarship or do they pull it from you? Yeah, they kept it. And uh-huh. and at the same time, my freshman year, I didn't do well academically. Again, same kind of thing. It's like I just wasn't ready to do it. And I did I wasn't ineligible, but I was like real close. And so my coach is just like, this kid's an asshole. This kid just isn't here. He isn't committed to it. When really it's the only thing I cared about, but I just I just couldn't put I just couldn't put it together. And by the time my sophomore year came around, I did put it together quite a bit more. Like I said, going into that second that second semester, I was feeling properly. Or better, definitely. And uh, I actually added some more training and did some cross training. I got in the pool quite a bit. I was swimming three days a week. It was just something I did on my own. I'd get up early, go to the pool, do like 30 to 40 minutes of laps back and forth. And um, ended up dropping dropping some pounds, got to about 153. I was 155 in high school. So 153 is a good competition weight for me. And that year I ran uh, like 908 in the steeple. And oh. Yeah, so I had a good a good spring, and I think eight eight thirty six in the three k. That was like the first race that actually went well, and I was like, okay, okay, things are going to be all right. And then the steeple went well, and I was like, okay, I've I've carved something out for myself here. So and then just kind of progressed. And then junior year was pretty similar, ran nine oh nine oh seven, and then pretty similar in the five k, like fifteen flat. And then my senior year was kind of a disaster with injuries again. So all in all, like my collegiate career was fine it wasn't anything that i like where i should have lived up to like coming into as a 414 miler who didn't run in the winter like figure that you put more miles around him and just have a a big commitment like i think back on it i think i should have been running like 402 for a mile you know 403 i think that that's the kind of ability levels that i had but things just didn't really kind of play out that way because i just wasn't ready i just didn't know what it was what i needed to do to commit to really maximize my potential and i didn't have any mentors there as well and you know really kind of carved out where i'm at now and and wanting to give and and trying to figure out what that looks like like going back to the beginning of the podcast like doing everything i possibly can with what i have in this moment is something that i didn't do then so potentially I'm training now just to kind of make up for that time, but I, I do really love it, but it is just about like figuring out how to put all of the pieces in place to really get the best possible performance and like what that takes and like what kind of toll that is on the rest of, of my life and just trying to figure out how to balance that, which is something I just didn't do as a younger athlete. So we have three ex-college runners on this podcast right now and three people who are totally lost at some point in their college career totally ostracized or totally 
out of it mentally and physically. And I think it highlights the unfair transition from high school to college in general, but specifically for the sport of running. Now, football gets a really bad rap for the college business side of it, how it Mm -hmm. is a militaristic business and they're maximizing the millions they can get and just taking advantage of these kids. But at the same time, I have never seen a safer transition from high school to college than if you are a scholarship football player. You arrive on campus with a mentor. You arrive with a tutor. You arrive with your uh, some sort of person to help you choose your classes based upon what's going to ease your life. They plan your schedule out for you. They plan when you meet to eat, and they help plan what you're going to eat. They they schedule your life so militaristically that if you're not in the weight room, you're eating. And if you're not eating, you're at practice. And if you're not at practice, you're at study table. And if you're not at study table, you are in your dorm with people that they intentionally put you with. Right. And all three of us got to college running in different paths, but we all got there totally left to ourselves and just thrown to the wolves at 18 years old, which science has shown your brain's not fully formed until somewhere between 22 and 28, mm-hmm. depending on your development. So you're minimum four years away from being able to truly critically think. And there's no systems in place, especially at a smaller tier running program, other than you better start running hard because we've got animals here. And these are the things that manifest eating disorders, mental disorders, physical injuries, terrible sleep, bad study patterns, because there's just not a a system that transfers you up with accountability and support. I know that's a long rant, but it's something I'm pretty passionate about. And you've highlighted it again. No, I love that. I think about that all the time too. Like I have some really negative thoughts just about the school system in general and especially higher education. Like I think it is a complete ripoff. I think it's a complete joke. I, I like, I wish that there was a system that like that you could go directly pro. Like I don't even think college sports should exist. Like I think the only reason they exist is because they're a money-making machine and they have fans, but for like cross country and, and track, like if there was something that existed that could take these high school kids and, and give them mentorship and put them in like the workforce almost while they train to become professional athletes. Like I didn't need to go to college. That was just like the next step that I had. And it was worse. It was worse for me. And I think about that sometimes with some of these athletes who are already these scholastic athletes who, you know, they, okay, they accept the scholarship to go to Tennessee, but like, why? Like they can already be at this next level. It's just the only step that we have. And ideally you'd think that the coaches would be the, the system there in place for you. But like they have other things going on. Like my coach, I didn't even understand. He was a part-time coach at a division one school. Like he had another job. And like, I didn't know what that meant until I got there. I was like, oh, this guy's not actually here. He's not going to help me at all. Like, what am I supposed to do? Like, that's why I'm here. So I totally agree. Like, what kind of, what do you think needs to be done? Like, how do you, like, is that something within the schools? Well, there's just, I think it's, first of all, if you're talking running in particular, it's not a running sport. The fact that any school gives away running scholarships is mind blowing because they're not getting a return on their investment, right? So right there, there's no microscope put on what they're doing. It's just, we have to give them this. And the school just throws the scholarships that way and doesn't care about the output, really. I feel like that's that's yeah. the case with most sports, most schools. It's strange, and we're seeing this with COVID. They're suddenly trying to slash budgets at colleges, and they're starting by attacking the fringe sports. And sports are held to the return on investment standard, and school programs are not. And that also dictates how you approach them and what you expect out of it. So running, you perform or you lose your scholarship. You perform or you're off the team. 
if you're in the music department, if you're in the art department, if you are in an acting program, it's about how can we develop you into the best actor so that when you leave this place, you're prepared to do it and you reflect well upon us. If you're in the music department, it's not, if you can't play music while you're out of here, it's we are going to develop you as an artist, as a musician. And in sports, it is perform or we're going to replace you. And so sports are initially judged by the wrong set of principles because it's not a professional sport outcome truly shouldn't matter if running's not making money either way the outcome shouldn't matter it's what product are you churning out and so mm -hmm. simply completely turning it on its head and say now we're about developing young men and women into the best humans and athletes possible so that they leave here prepared for what's next rather than we're going to milk performance out of them at the cost of However, however many we lose along the way, I think that's an important first step to take. All they all they do is slap a minimum GPA requirement at you and yeah. say, "All right, if this kid's getting a 1.5 GPA or better, he can stay on the team." And we assume he's doing what he needs to do to, yeah. you know. I think sports needs to be a major or a minor rather than a a participation in a sport because hmm. it needs to be looked at as a department, and in the department, you churn out finished products. You turn out people who are ready for the workforce and for what comes next, and you maximize them as a person along the way where sports is performance-based. And I think if it gets folded into a department, the cross-country department rather than the cross-country team, now you have oversight, you have accountability, you have to have a course syllabus, you explain what the purposes of the course are. Did your coach ever sit down and explain why you're training the way you're training? No. <laughs> no, he's always like, this is what we're doing. And if you questioned it, he would like essentially just rip you. And what's the first thing you do in every college course ever? Yeah. You go, you go over it Why you're doing it. Yeah. And, hmm. and so that mindset initially, and I think this is an entire episode that we don't need to get into, but we should meet back up for and talk about the failings of the athletic system. But it's, it's important that we are wasting a lot of individuals because they're cast out based on performances. And, and and what you're talking about to me, yeah, the last point on this, like that, that itself could be something separate from the university. Like it doesn't need to be tied to it. If you're there to prepare, like a university is meant to prepare you for the world and for the workforce. And it just happens to have sports there as well. If you could have this thing that where you could go and do running as uh, the curriculum, it doesn't necessarily have to be tied to a school. Like it doesn't, you can perform you like we can race as individuals at anywhere all the time. Mm -hmm. We don't even need to be on team. Like it's fun, but right. we don't necessarily need to be. That's not what's going to help pay the bills if we make it professional, like being on a team. So like that could be its own thing. Like it doesn't even necessarily need to be in the school. Imagine what it would be like if you had your your major in business and your minor in running. And everyone <laughs> comes out of there understanding philosophy of running, training principles, nutritional strategies, coaching strategies, and a little bit of psychology for coaching. Think of what that does now to the people that come out and are able to coach at the high school ranks. Mm -hmm. Suddenly that revitalizes the high school programs where every kid gets a psychologist, a coach, and a trainer in one package who addresses them as an individual. So that kind of, whether that's club-based or whether that's college-based, that's the kind of upheaval that I think is needed to avoid having Kirk get lost for two years in college because he got sick or having me get lost for a year because I had an unhealthy relationship with weight and because I had an unhealthy relationship with my coach my freshman year and having you get lost for a year or two because of the same issues without that support purpose, there's no support system. Hmm. Yeah. It's funny. Cause that's, a, and I come out of school and didn't even use my major. I, I don't, I wouldn't mm -hmm. say I did, you know, so mm -hmm. that's a great, 
idea. Maybe we can have an OCR department too. But you'd have to, you'd have to, I mean, obviously then there's a whole inner workings of having teachers qualified in every single sport to, whether it's your coach or somebody else. To but isn't teach. that crazy? The fact that well, they don't, we can well, do it. It is, but right. But there, I mean, it's not like a one-step process. No, no, is, I'm, right? I'm not saying you flip the switch and it's fixed, but yeah. why are sports held to a different standard than academics? Mm-hmm. Mostly because of money, man. Well, think of how much more money they could make if they could say you're coming out with a degree in it. Yeah, we're just we're just participating in one of the sports that makes zero money. I mean, what'd your school make in their school bookstore selling St. John's T-shirts or St. Joe's T-shirts? What do they make? Four bucks in four years? <laughs> Probably. How much were tickets to go watch your cross-country races? Zero to five dollars? Yeah. Exactly. Right. Well, okay. I'm, I'm going to transition us back to running, Kirk. I was going to try too. All right. You talked about rhythm running, and yet you ran a great steeplechase. Mm-hmm. Your 3K to steeplechase correlation is not a bad correlation. They figure you can do what? Roughly 30 to 40 seconds is your conversion. Mm-hmm. And you did. You went 938 to 907. Right. That's a good correlation. And steeplechase, it's a sterile environment, but it is broken running. So what were you doing at the time or, or do you think maybe you do have a little bit in you that you can, you can access based on that indication? I mean, even getting to the point of where I am in obstacle course racing, like, you know, the kind of the way that we framed it and I agree. And I think about this a lot is that like, I haven't quite gotten the results of where my training should be, but I think even the results that I've gotten that have been like pretty good are oh, yeah. a result of that, of what I have the ability to do, like playing basketball as a, as a kid, like being a better athlete. Like when I did steeplechase, I was like, oh, okay. Cause these runners can't jump at all. Like I can mm-hmm. still do this. Like I'm able to do this, this broken rhythm running. And now it's just now putting it into what is an elite sport, I guess, you know, like where obstacle course race is going, even being in like the top 10 in some of these races, I think is part of that. So I do think there is something there and it's that isn't just like straight runner. And I think that's where the steeple kind of came in because it was just a little bit more of an athletic endeavor than just a 5k. Okay. I I just wanted to, you kind of glossed over this. I think it's important to just like put a bow tie in this part of the conversation. Um, You, you sunk pretty deep into the eating disorder realm for a while, as I'm understanding now. Um, But you never really talked how you got yourself out of it. And I just want to know, what that did you seek help or did you because this is it seems to be like people have been really good about opening up on social media lately there's some pretty big hitters that have talked about their struggles with food and they're working on it constantly um did you just realize it was counterproductive and were able to navigate through that or like how does how does somebody who's struggling with it i know we have people listening and i have a hunch that some people that are listening uh are probably having some of the similar struggles Mm -hmm. like what, what did you what did you do So it really did just come down to just educating myself on it and educating myself first on food quality and and figuring out like what I was actually eating and what and how that might affect everything that I'm doing. So that was really the first step in like figuring out like just like reading, reading whatever books I could come across that had nutrition in it and and nutrition performance. Some of the running books had some and those are mostly just anecdotal on like what an elite athlete might do for their diet. But even those things were helpful then coming from zero knowledge where 2000 calories is just what every person gets a day and to like just figuring out what quality type of foods and what's going to serve me well that was really a bit the big step at first as opposed to just like eating or eating something that i thought might be healthy and 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 just not and just kind of missing the mark on that and knowing that there is a 
like boundaries of what you could eat. Cause I mean, I'm, I'm guessing you guys were the same in high school. You could just like hammer, just crush food. Didn't even matter. And that kind of stuff goes away. So, and I think I, and so when things kind of started to come around, I started eating more. <laughs> I just kind of stopped caring about it as much. And I just was like, all right, this is not, this is obviously not working. This is really detrimental to taking a toll on me, you know, mentally and socially. It just wasn't something that I wanted to. So, and I got to that point where I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to quit. I'm going to quit running. Like, so I was almost like apathetic to, to even doing it. And that's kind of when things kind of got better. Where I just started you didn't, to, what's that? You, you didn't, you didn't like go like to the library and check out a book, like how to fix an eating disorder. You, you basically sought out, like, if I'm going to eat, I want to choose the right foods this time around in order to perform and feel better. It wasn't like, a, and that's what got you out of it. I just want to be clear on it. Yeah. And like at the, in the time, like I knew what I was doing wasn't right, but I wouldn't, and even still kind of struggle with like the eating disorder thing. Like, obviously there's like, there's evidence toward it, but even in the time I was kind of like, I don't necessarily think this, that's what, what I'm doing. I don't think that's what I'm going through. So mm-hmm. to like seek out something for something I didn't think was my issue. I, I wouldn't have done. I did go to my coach. And I was like, Hey, I need some help with nutrition. And he said, okay, go see this person over there. I was like, okay. I went and saw the other person over there and they're okay. We'll get back to you. And then they got back to me once like, Hey, we're going to, we're going to help you. And then they just, they just didn't. So like, and that, and at the time, so unacceptable. So unacceptable. and as a time, you know, like I'm, I am 19, 20 year old kid who doesn't want to share um, who doesn't want to show weakness. So even coming to my coach and being like, Hey, can I have some help? One time to me was a big step. And then that, that fell through, like I wasn't going to persist. I was like, okay, they're not going to help me. So that, that is something that was definitely a bummer. And this is division one program. They didn't have anybody that could help like figure out nutrition. Felt like nobody gave a shit about you. Yeah, man. And that was like, that was the worst part for sure. Like reflecting on it, I was like, oh man, I was completely by myself. So, so I had to kind of take it upon myself to, to figure it out. And, you know, quality was the, definitely the route that I went first. Okay. I was just curious about that. I don't know if I have any more questions there, but I was, I figured you navigated your way out of that somehow. Do you still have, do you still have tendencies to, to revert back into old habits or do you feel like you've, you've kicked, kicked that? bucket over yeah definitely can't lie and to tell you that i think about body composition a lot in terms of performance and mm-hmm. especially because we're still we still are out here doing it um it's nice that there's different components now with with strength and that we're able to and that i've had much longer time to see what works and to really kind of put things in perspective but if you know, if there's an injury or if there's reasons I can't run like those things do kind of start trickling and it's like oh i, I know what happens when i start gaining weight um, but I'm much more confident now that my metabolism metabolism is in a healthy spot. I know what to do to m- manipulate my body composition when needed in a healthy way. I know what it takes, like how much I'm burning. I know what energy demands my body needs. And, and I've gone through enough to get the actual feedback from what's happening emotionally or from my sleep or from my hunger that I'm in a much more secure place to know what's going on based off of just almost data, whether that's quantitative or qualitative, that I have a good grasp on things where before it was just like, this is a disaster. Like I need to get thinner, like that everything else was pushed to the side. Like now I, I have a lot more information that I can kind of drown out those things when you kind of start creeping in. You also mm-hmm. seem to run at a heavier weight than, uh, and that even that has negative connotations. You seem to run at a higher form of athletic frame. Mm-hmm. than what a typical road runner would do. And you seem to succeed well off that. And 
When did you decide I'm going to have an athletic frame rather than I'm going to go for the stick figure approach to lightest weight possible? So I actually kind of backed off of running for a while and I got really into CrossFit around 2011 and I did it pretty consistently until about 2016. And I actually did my first Spartan race in 2013, but I didn't go all in on Spartan because I was still doing CrossFit so often that I was like, I really like this. I want to focus on this. And at the time I was doing, I was running, I'm still running some and I was doing the CrossFit piece. So I just kind of put muscle on doing that. Just not even really considering that I, I needed to, I probably should have put on more. I should probably, if I really want to want to go into CrossFit, I probably should have put on like 20 to 30 pounds more, but I was always, I was still adverse to the idea of changing my body composition because running was still in the picture. But that was such a good metabolic reset to focus on that based on your history. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And again, same thing. It's competitive. It was really fun. So I want to just kind of dive into it and, and, and see what happened. And then coming into OCR where it just seemed like I didn't need to be 150 pounds to do well. And I thought I could get by just on the, my previous running ability and perform well. And then I just kind of started training for it. And I saw that my times were getting back to where they were. I mean, it took a couple of years to kind of get back to the fastest times that I've had, but I found that I, I didn't need to weigh 150 pounds and just getting the feedback from the training was really encouraging that I could still run fairly well and, and be bigger. So you've returned to your fastest running correct? You can match the times of your fastest. Yeah. This April I ran my, my collegiate PR in the 5k was 1508. And in April I ran 1505. And then when I was last year, I did run that 10, 10 mile PR, but in 2010, where I weighed about 153 again, at that point, I, I, I ran like 5250. And last year I broke under that weighing like 15 pounds more than that. Um, so that those type of things, they're awesome. It's just like the best feeling mm -hmm. to have that, you know? And, and, it's got to be super encouraging for people to hear. It's great. And knowing I can still pick up a sandbag or pick up a barbell, still do deadlifts and do all these other athletic things that I potentially couldn't do and still run fast. It's awesome. Well, and I think the key that, that people need to remember is that you'll always hear, yeah, but he could have been faster if he was lighter. And maybe you mm -hmm. might've run faster, lighter, but you also might not have got to the start line, but even more importantly, you can do everything else you want in your life and it's not controlling you. So you can run as fast, maybe with more training and better fitness, but you're able to do life. And when you start prioritizing, I need to be 140 in order to PR and then 135, now it is so finely tuned that there's nothing else that's possible. And then maybe you don't even get to the start line. Right. And that's kind of the shift in, in, in terms of actual weight and I've put it more perspective of, of fueling. And I think that's another reason why I'm able to kind of keep some of the the weight on in, in, in how I am fueling every day and, and the mindfulness that I have around what I'm eating in terms of just like protein intake and making sure that when my, when my miles go up, everything else rises with it. So I'm seeing the performance, I'm getting the recovery because I feel like I'm fueled properly and my body composition isn't dwindling away uh, because I, I, I put more of a focus on how to like refuel, recharge and recover from it. Mm -hmm. So you spent, I mean, you, and you're still a student of nutrition, I assume. It seems, sounds like you're always probably trying to better or rework the, the system and you're very in tune with output versus input and performance uh, directly correlated to nutrition. Yeah. And I found that that's been really helpful with the like kind of getting over those thoughts that do creep that creep back in where it's like, okay, I got to be lighter. I'm um, having those quantifiable measures. I'm not 
I'm not extremely data driven. I think I'm more data driven than I have been in the past, but having some hard set numbers for me personally is really helpful. I, I know it's a slippery slope for other people where it's like if they are confined to something or, you know, they have to measure themselves on a scale or, you know, take pictures of them. Like it could be this mental really like mentally taxing for them. But for me, it's been really helpful, like seeing how much I'm eating and, and it just makes things much more clear where if it's left up to me, I would under eat most likely because I would have those thoughts that kind of creep back in, but seeing consistently what happens when I eat and then putting it against my performance and then periodically checking the scale and seeing how that all works together has been really helpful uh, up until this point. Hmm. So you, you, you highlight what I look for in a coach. I think that throughout multiple sports and, and throughout the history, it's shown that people who have struggled make really good coaches. People who have had to think their way through every type of situation, it enhances their ability to do so with others. People who have been always the cream of the crop tend not to identify with the people who struggle. People who only struggled tend not to be able to connect with people who are studs, but people who have great talent, great performances, and have struggled as well to get there or maintain or get back to it through injury or setback, they tend to be really good, well-rounded coaches that can coach entry level all the way up through elite athlete. Mm-hmm. And you kind of, you not kind of, you, you've you lived that and it shows why Kirk and I like your podcast and we like your coaching philosophy and people are successful with you. But a huge part of your life has been this nutritional aspect. How much of that do you integrate into your research, your education, and then into your daily coaching with athletes? Yeah. So it's not, it's, it's a piece that I feel is very much overlooked. And more often it's that people are underfueling, especially in, in endurance and with obstacle course racing, since there's such a wide array of things that you need to be doing. And it doesn't, it, it's not always like the lightest wins in, in these, in these cases. So it is individually based, right? Because I, like I mentioned, it, it can be a slippery slope for people based on their background, or if they just don't consider it to be something that is an issue for them. I offer it for everybody. And if they want to kind of dive into that and learn more, or and if they're in a place where they feel comfortable that they will want to explore with that, then there is an offering there and I make it clear that it is. And and what what often happens is that we'll start off not really even talking about it or not touching on it. And then as they kind of put all the other pieces in place, like they get the consistency down, they're getting their training in place, they're getting their mobility all worked out. Then I'll be like, okay, what, what's another piece of this puzzle that I can that I can put in place to, to try to maximize things? And, and that's oftentimes when people kind of will, will reach out and be like, hey, can we talk about the, the nutrition thing a little bit? So it's not like when we start coaching, it's like I send them a list of foods that they can't eat and like, here's your macros, like get to it. It's more of like a conversation so that they need to come to that decision on their own. And um, I like to offer it all as one piece as well. Like I found when I was like, okay, and nutrition is this much more dollars. People just wouldn't find it important. Didn't want, and I didn't want them. I didn't want it to be a monetary thing, why they wouldn't want to explore that. So it's just there. It's offered for them. If they want to do it, that's great. I, I like talking about it. I like seeing people through it, but if not, it's also no problem. Well, that's, that's what I find too, is after you get settled into a program, then I'll work with my athletes on nutrition as well when it's the next step. I think also starting new, you're already making a lot of changes by hiring a coach. And so one step at a time can be more absorbable for people. And and then filtering it in, it's very important, I agree, but filtering it in maybe once you've established a month worth of a routine, then layering in another component like nutrition has seemed to work best, I think. And and sometimes it's not the number one thing that's going to move the needle for them the most right up front. 
and really that's what I try to do is try to figure out like, okay, what is the one piece that we can actually see something that is positive in terms of results or mindset the quickest. And sometimes that's nutrition. Uh, most, most often it's not, especially people who are trying to compete at a high level, they're already relatively fit, you know, and they have a good sense for, uh, somewhat of where they're feeling, but, um, it's more of a way to kind of make things more well-rounded. So if there's something else we need to attack from the jump, that's what we'll do. And we'll talk about nutrition down the road. So, so Bracken and I, at the, at the end of uh, our training Tuesday, last week or the week before we, we asked for feedback about, um, potentially diving into nutrition, nutrition on some episodes, a little more specifically and what, what your listener thoughts were on that. When we asked that question, we actually had Rich in mind as being um, like our experts, nutrition, nutritionist, nutrition, you know, guests, so to speak. Um, and so we're going to hone in. I just want to hone in on that just a little more with you. Um, you didn't know that when we proposed the question, but Rich was our guy in mind because you seem to in the OCR community embrace the nutrition side more. And now hearing your story, and I'm sure Bracken agrees, it makes a lot of sense. Right. And so... And, and so one, we would like feedback from you, um, again, saying like, I mean, obviously Rich knows his stuff. So would you like to hear more from Rich and let us know? And two, do you have a general nutrition philosophy, Rich? Like, like when you look at it as a whole, like it's so hard to do in just like a philosophy or sum it up, but like, what, what is it? Yeah. uh, Good question. And I, I did listen to that piece and, and kind of thought about the the things you guys are saying, what makes nutrition so hard, right? It is that there's so much information out there and there's a lot of promises and a lot of these bogus studies that people kind of put out that are funded by different people with ulterior motives, right? And so I really don't like to be dogmatic behind anything in, in terms of nutrition and really look at it at the science and what the actual, what the actual mechanisms of nutrition are and how that can and how you can use that to your advantage when it comes to performance. So it is very performance based, but before you can even put anything into place, you have to have the uh, the appropriate habits. So it's very much about looking at the individual's habits and seeing what's going to work for them, and then creating a plan and helping them work step by step in terms of making sure that they're meeting their fueling needs. So if you were to boil things down, I guess you would say, yeah, it's just a matter of, of matching input and output, and however we do it is 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 relative to the athlete themselves. So if it needs to be something that's hard hard quantifiable with numbers, then we'll go macros be like, Hey, eat X amount of protein, eat this much carb, eat eat this much fat. And if it needs to be more of an intuitive sense, we'll give an idea of what their daily intake looks like and just kind of tweak, tweak the knobs a little bit to make sure that they are getting the appropriate amount of nutrients for the amount of work that they're putting in. So then they get the desired results, right? That's what we're here for. That's why everyone's really listening. They want to get faster. They want to be better on, on the course. And that's the approach that I want to take for nutrition, not necessarily like buy my protein shake or, you know, be, be vegan, be keto, um, because that's what I did and that's what works. So it's really very, very different for every single person. So, so are you in versus, so obviously a little numbers driven, a little more in versus out versus like, but what about like type, like types of foods? Like you push, I have to imagine you're pushing people towards a certain way of eating. For example, I feel a heck of a lot better if I minimize my grains Uh and I eat less dairy, for example which means I get my, my, I get my carbs from sweet potatoes, white potatoes, winter squash, uh, things like that. And I notice I just feel a little better when I do that, for example, and dairy just can mess with most everybody. So for example, do you have any like ways you, you in general, like philosophies on types of foods that you see 
or not really, or is it so individual based? It's really hard to have a blanket statement across the board because everyone does respond differently. Like I do fine with grains. I know I do. And there's other things like for me personally, like corn is, is a, is something that flares up and my, and what I do, cause I can speak to only the way I feel how that presents itself is through my breathing. Like I have, I have asthma. And when I eat foods that have, that are like corn or have really high processed, um, like corn syrups in them, like I can't breathe that well. Like it's like, I'm around like an allergen. So like, that's only that I, what I can speak to. So I don't think anybody else probably has that. So it's hard to really say like, okay, gluten will present itself. Like you might feel more inflamed here or there. Dairy you might have more upset stomach because it's just going to vary from person to person. So if you wanted to go down that route, typically we would do some sort of uh, elimination diet where we would pick a couple of foods to, to really eliminate and then slowly reintroduce them if they really wanted to see which quality foods are going to work best on their end. Um, because I mean, like the only things that you'd want to say, it's like, okay, probably don't eat tasty cakes and drink sodas that much, <laughs> but some people even still can, can be okay. So it's more of just like following general clean eating guidelines. And then if they really wanted to dive in further, then we kind of go with that elimination diet route. I like hearing that. I am a skeptic by nature on many things. And one of my telltale signs of BS is if someone tries to sell a plan, if they try to sell a system, because our human race is so incredibly diverse that there isn't just a one size fits all. And if someone can't explain it or tweak it to fit a circumstance or explore it and break it down, then it's probably BS. And so I like that your first statement was, you know, I can't really sum it up in one thing. I want to, I want to follow basic principles, but I want to, I want to tweak and I want to conform it to the individual because that's really the only way of approaching any problem. It'd be way easier if I could have a system and just be like, this works, pay me. And then just give it to the people. And, and everybody that has that, it's been based off anecdotal evidence, right? Something that they've done or something that they've seen happen for a, a small group of people. And they're just trying to, and it's, and, and nutrition is such a, it's so tied to, to people's emotions that people will do kind of drastic things and try really out of ordinary approaches because they want it to be better. They want it to be easier. So a system, if they have a magic button, if they have a system, if they just can't eat carbohydrates or, or grains or whatever and just eat fats, that's easy for people to wrap their minds around. It's not the nuance isn't fun and the nuance isn't fun to explore because we don't know where they, where it's going to end up. And that's kind of like what you're saying before is like, as a coach, I've gone through a lot of different things. I've gotten hurt a lot. You know, I've, I've, I've had these kind of setbacks and I don't like, I do have a lot of anecdotal experience to draw from, but I can't lean on that 100% exclusively because I know that there's different circumstances for everybody. So even in the case, like, like Kirk mentioned, or like I did change my running form and I've seen tremendous benefits from that. I'm not over here preaching. Like you need to change your running form to get better because it could be different from person to person. And, and that's the same thing with nutrition. It's like, here's what I did. Here's what I like. And, but here's some other options that could also, that have been proven and shown to work. Cool. We, um, I want to, I want to just, I want to touch on this before we wrap up again, just to remind people to reach out and let us know if they want, they want some more very specific stuff from me on episodes, but I just want to bring this back to you um, in regards to your racing and your future aspirations as well. I just want to know, can you, I think a lot of people know of you through your podcast and not a ton know of you through your racing yet. 
um, we say that a lot to our guests, but like you're obviously like a very obvious candidate to like, I don't know, break, break through. <laughs> and, and I know you've won some races. I know you have some top 10 in U.S. National Series and plenty of podiums otherwise. Um, what are some of the highlights of your Spartan career so far, would you say? Yeah, I'd say top 10 National Series last year. Like if I had to hang my hat on anything, that'd be like one one solid metric. It'd be that. And that, that was cool. But, you know, it, it's like there's two truths to everything. So I tell myself like that's a great accomplishment that I had that I saw that through. But at the same time, like people drop out of that race. Like Bracken, you were ahead of me before you stopped doing it. <laughs> you know, like oh, I, I kind of the, the series, like you were like oh, an eighth yeah. and then like you stopped doing the series. So like things kind of rise up. I thought you meant an individual race. Uh, well, you were. Oh, didn't you take tenth in two races in a row in the U.S. National Series? I did, and you guys were both ahead of me in both of those. I was close, and right. uh, you passed me for a little bit in Alabama. I did. I was like, we're, we're we throwing all, down. We back and forth, didn't we? Three of us. Yeah. Yeah, I, Kirk, you were like, oh, I'm, I'm throwing in the towel on this one. I was like, come on, bro, let's go. There was a, That's not what I said. It was pretty close. I was having a rough race, but then you know what? You passed me and. And uh, lit a fire, and I, I jumped on your back. Basically, is what I did. You I both was, passed me. Yeah, and then you. Oh, dude, I don't know if you guys remember. I took a fall in the first two hundred meters of that race and got trampled. <laughs> and catching back up took everything in my being just to be back in the pack I wanted to. And then it was just like I was already past where I wanted to be. And anyways, so thanks for keeping me in that race, Rich. I hung on to your back, and then Brack and did the same thing for me later on. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, but I like the races I like the most that I think most fondly of are the stadium races. The the I've podium twice at the stadium race here in Philadelphia. And I think it's just really cool being a hometown, like an Uber to the start starting line and then able to be on the podium in Philadelphia is pretty cool. So I think that the short course things are going to be more in line for what, what I like, like kind of going doubling back to like the lifestyle of things. Like that's just kind of how I like to train. It's just like what I like to do. I, I killed myself last year trying to get into the mountains enough. Like I would take, again, I didn't have a car. So I would draw, I would take the bus home pre-COVID, I'll take the bus home to, there's like a two hour bus ride to where my parents live. And then that is like 30 minute car drive to Blue Mountain, which where Palmerton was. So on Wednesday, on Tuesday night, I would take the bus in and then Wednesday morning, I would drive to the mountain and just do an, an absurd amount of elevation, just trying to get it all in when I could. I would drive back and take the bus home Wednesday night just to try to get better for some mountain races later. And ended up just kind of like getting hurt, overdoing it just because I knew that's like what I, I was like. I don't, I don't have a chance if I can't get some elevation in. So I was doing like really drastic things like that. And it's cool to be on the mountain. I like running on mountains. I like running the trails, but, and like things like high rocks popping up, like that's like, I think it's gonna be really fun. Decafit's gonna be in my wheelhouse. I'm really psyched for OCR stars. Are you, are you guys bummed? You're not going to be, are you, Bracken, are you going to be in it? I mean, you're running fast enough. I'm not running fast enough. I'm in it, but I'm not, I'm not competing. I'm supporting uh, Hunter. I mean, I tore my meniscus doing stepping up onto a ledge. So oh. weighted step ups <laughs> on a partially healed are just, that's, that's something I'm not willing to even, I'm not even going to do the RX weight. I'm going to complete that workout, but I'll be immediately disqualified. So I was glad to see what the second workout was. I was worried. Do you guys saw the second, this the gripper chipper? Uh, yeah. The gripper, whatever it is. I was just glad to see it. I, I was worried it could get a little crossfitty and I feel like he did a really good job of designing that that wad for if it's called OCR stars, I think it still has that OCR permeability with to it. So I think it's good. You guys agree? Yeah. I think the toaster bar are going to be a fucking problem. Well, grip oh, yeah. dude, by that point too, but, but, but the grip component is so, so heavily infused in that, that I, I, 
approved yeah i didn't like it at first the toast bar i thought there were too many and it's not useful to ocr but then i realized it tests grip and the ability to control your body while moving Dude. a little bit on an obstacle and then i realized yeah that's all right hunter you got as close as you'll get yeah i think it's great i think it's fantastic i, I think it's still you can have a guy like you really could have a guy like 135 pound forest bogue go still do well in this event Mm-hmm. It it doesn't take a 200 pound CrossFit world ranked person to potentially win this thing. It could take an OCR athlete to win it. And that's what I like about it. It's just not going to be a balance of, okay, the runners are going to exceed in two events. And then the CrossFit meatheads in quotes are going to see at these two. And it's going to be a lesser of two evils who can mitigate the damage in the, their two non-specialized events. I feel like yeah. it's a good match. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I think you did it right. And I think the, the weighted step overs with 50 pounds in each hand, if he chooses the 24 inch box, that even 20 for women, that is so tall for someone who's not tall. And with a hundred pounds in your hands, there are people who are going to struggle for every single rep, let alone doing 16 minutes worth of reps. So it's only going to be one weight. It's only a 150 pound weight. Oh, I didn't realize that. That, that changes things. So that changes things. High. And it, it's still high and it's still going to be a lot of output, but that again, like kind of what Kirk was saying, it doesn't eliminate any obstacle course athlete because it, that's almost a detriment to the CrossFit athlete. Cause it's not super heavy. So it ends up just being work rate. It's going to be box step overs and then burpee box jump overs. Right. So I didn't realize the step overs were with one dumbbell. I thought with it was one. Two. So like you can kind of move through it pretty fast and then the burpee bo- box. Jump, so that's all engine. So I think the toes to bar, that workout is going to favor the CrossFitter still just because that movement is going to ruin people. If you can't efficiently kip and get done with only one break, then you lose a lot of time. And 50 is a lot. Like I've, I've been practicing and it's, they're a lot. Kirk, you got fit. You got 50 in you. I think I do. But at that point, at that point in the, no way. I mean, that's the last thing, isn't it? Uh, second, bur- second last. Second last. Um, I think at that point there's going to be some breaks. It's going to be grip for sure. And there's penalties for breaks. Yeah. Oh, is there? Like, I'm guessing it's going to be five or 10 burpees, but yeah, there's penalties for yeah, every time you just want your burpees. And, and the thing is, you're going to have a lot of people doing knee, knee raise into toe extension to hit the bar. So if they can't kip, and, right. They'll be on that's, forever. That's going to be really rough. It's yeah. going to be so slow. What do you think the fastest OCR runner is going to run in the mile? 420. Yeah. 420, huh? On the head? Yeah. Yeah. I'd say 420 is about the limit. You might see a 418. Oh, I was going to say like 426. Oh, no, I mean, there's people like oh, Rich, Botris, um, VJ, uh, Gaudet. I, I think there's guys in there that can run low 420s solo. I think if we could all get to one spot and yeah. run together, you'd see people in the teens. Mm-hmm. I'd be really impressed if someone got in the teens as an OCR athlete. There might be because he's given away a thousand bucks for uh, event wins, which is enough for like a 410 mile or just to jump in and just like just oh, to that's see. The thing. If you yeah. can run a good mile, you should invest. 25, 30 bucks, sign up and get a thousand dollar prize for the, Heck yeah, yeah, for sure. So I like, I'm really excited about it. Cause again, it's just, it's just like output endurance output. Every one of these events, there's not, there's no terrain. There's no descents. Hmm. I'm fired up about it. I think it kind of, it kind of surprises me to hear you say these things though, because we're talking to a guy who just ran 507 pace for 10 miles, who clearly is a great threshold runner talking about doing the shorter broken running style races like stadiums and DecaFit and high rocks and OCR stars. What is your logic? Is it enjoyment or do you feel like somehow the skill sets now translate 
well to that type of racing. I mean, Bracken, you could probably speak to this better than I, cause I haven't done a DECA or a high rocks, but it just seems like the skill involved in those are so small and that the running is, there's a, a portion that is very much running and even something like the event you guys put on, like the Burpee 10 K, which is same thing. It's just work rate. It's just output, yeah. whatever you can do, like low skill, just go fast the whole time. Like, I think that's going to be more my wheelhouse. So you may not struggle with broken running as much as you struggle with broken terrain. Terrain. Yeah. I don't think it's, it's not the broken running. Like I come off obstacles. I feel good. I come out of carries feel good. My carries are okay. Depending on, depending on the terrain. <laughs> so yeah, it's more, it's more terrain based for me. The obstacles themselves are fine. Like I said, I've been doing CrossFit for a while. I'm a, I'm a decent CrossFitter. I've done a, in actually in, or in February, this is before Jacksonville, I did Fran in two thirty nine. So like I can, I can move through CrossFit stuff like fairly well. So like 39 for Fran, full Fran, full Fran. Yeah. Like 21, 21, 21 15, 9, 95 pounds, pull-ups, uh, 95 pound thrusters and pull-ups. Yeah. Like I'm good at CrossFit. Like I'm good at moving in and out of stuff. I just not when there's fucking roots. And rocks all <laughs> Have over you the ever done place. an entire block of training where every quality run was done on nasty terrain? I haven't. Anything even close to that? Before leading into Broad Street last year, I was doing a lot on nastier terrain and my fitness still kind of came around was still pretty good um i'm talking every long run every tempo every interval session every compromise i wonder what you would be like if you did six to 12 weeks of nothing but broken terrain running and you could still hit your easy runs on regular and just see if that skill just clicked if you tipped be scary yeah just matter of it don't do it. <laughs> it's a matter of getting the access, right? It's just like, it's not right. And that's, that's kind of what it boils down to. So maybe I'll get a car and maybe we'll, we'll, we'll go hit some trails, but yeah. You, you got engaged recently, right? I did. Congratulations. You, you and the lady can just go get a house in the burbs now, Rich, and have trail access and just start living that just life. Having that life, man. You're right. This city life is, yeah, we got a dog too. We're ready for the burbs. You need a fence and a yard and access paths and get out the city serves no purpose in these COVID times anyway it really doesn't it's much scarier than it was before it's way worse so so what are your your, um so what are your aspirations then what do you really think you're capable of if so you're not going to do the u.s national series i don't think we're doing the u.s national series i might do something like bracken had suggested in maybe six eight 12 weeks before something like Tahoe, try to get on some of that type of terrain just to stay, keep things sharp, get my miles up again. Um, because that's one thing I've tried to ha- compensate with the lack of elevation and things around. I just try to put in some volume uh, just to accumulate that fatigue. So get those miles back up toward the end of the year. But early season, I think I want to want to focus more, see what, see what's going on with the deck of fit stuff. See if high rocks are going to exist. Um, if stadiums are going to exist, try to do some of that, those, those short things. But um, if there is a U.S. National Series that race that is easy to get to and uh, works in the schedule, I'll pop into one of those. But I'm definitely not going to travel around for those again. I mean, it's it was cool. It was so much fun. And it's nice to make the Spartan Pro Team, how whatever that served this year. But, like, I can't I can't imagine. What are you going to go after next year? Who are you talking to? Both. Well, Bracken, and I assume Bracken, that's going to be back in, right? That's going to you and I won't Richard. do it. I won't do a series. But, well, I'm going to, I'm going to go after, I'm going to try to win the stadium series again and assuming they have a world championship, that's the focus of the year. But my other focus is I'm going to pop into series, U S national series races at courses that I target. And I don't think I'm ready to retire from the sport until I get another U S national series podium. 
it's been too long now that it feels like it was part of a different era of the sport and it doesn't count anymore. So I, I need a current one. Hmm. And it's good at getting those, I mean, those races, you know, when you're shoulder to shoulder out there and yeah. with so many guys that are capable, it's, it's just good to keep you sharp, man. It's good mm-hmm. to reframe the mind. Yeah. What about you, Kirk? Where you at? Um, I just want to go for maybe a mile run right now. See if my body will hold up to that. That sounds good. It does sound nice. I am still got foot pain. So I, I may be going five months without running. I don't know. I can't figure out what's going on, but I'm not going to try to set any goals until I, because what happens when you put the cart in front of the horse is then you come back too quick. And so I'm going to, I'm going to be cool, chill. And, uh, I'm going to the politically hold off on that answer Great. for the time being. Yeah. Um, what do you think you can do then, Rich? What do you think if you're going to do the series potentially, the stadium series, maybe, right? You might do a whole series there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I want, yeah. I want to I be Bracken. Between um, you and Bracken, Steen, you think you're coming out on top? I mean, I think I can rub elbows with anybody on there with, with Kent, the Isaiah's, Bracken's. Yeah. I'm, I'm there to mix that up. Like, I think that will be fun. I'm going to get really, really fast, like really fast. And then just see, see how I can do on the monkey bars and <laughs> just worry about that later. Bracken, your rebuttal? I like it. I like it. I, I mean, this is going to sound really egotistical, but I've won the stadium series two or three times. Like that's done. I want to prove it now. No mm. one cared outside the people who did the stadium and my parents when I won the series. It wasn't <laughs> considered a legit national or world title. So who cares? I Now I want to beat the best people. I want depth of field. I I don't intend on coming back looking anything like I've looked recently. And so I want I want to test it. My mindset, my physicality, my fitness... I want to race everybody. Good. So I want Rich fast there. I want Kent focused on it. I want Isaiah back there. I want Hunter out there. I want Killian to come back to it. I want everyone there. I'll tell you what, too. I uh, I, I appreciate that. And I think my inability to hold mileage might have me showing up on stadium race. Yeah, I want you there. there. Let's go. Yeah, the single right most on. satisfying stadium race I ever ran was the one that everyone showed up. Hunter, yeah. both Kempsons, Kent, Isaiah, everyone was there. And I... It raises your level. I had my best race. I had my most mentally engaged race. I had my most miserable race. It, it was everything you should want out of a race. It was awful. And I walked out of there knowing that's how a race should. There, there's none of that coasting the last 10 minutes, just hoping no one comes back into sight because it's a weak field. It was every second of the race mattered. And that's what I want. What kind of odds would you place on a world championship actually happening? Because it was funny how they released it this year. And then they're like, Oh, we didn't say anything about our world championship. <laughs> not, not, not us. I mean, everything with Spartan, I just put at 50, 50 and the that roll might the be dice. generous. But yeah. what I said in the last episode is he, Kirk asked my why. And my why is to never miss an opportunity again, because I'm not in shape. Mm. And so if the world championship is on, I'm in fitness to win it. Not, not yeah. that it gets one, but just that I have the fitness that I can show up and say, I can win this as much as anyone else can win it. You know, you walked me into my last question for Rich, Brack, and you didn't even know it. Because Rich seems to be a guy who's always ready to race. Always. I mean, do you not I mean, if you pay attention to what you're doing, you're living what Bracken just talked about. And I actually wanted to close today with we're in these times where you've created um races for yourself and you've held your foot, you know, you did 5K time trial, which is amazing time. You did out back too. Did you stop your watch when you turned around? Nope. Just nope. hard step, like That's suicide true. style. I did a suicide to 5K. That's a couple seconds right there. Maybe. But um wait, 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 wait. wait. <laughs> Don't brush past that. I didn't see that. Tell me about this real quick. You did out and back 5K. <laughs> out and back what? How many times out and back? Just one, just one turnaround. Oh, I, I did one hard turnaround. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> On a basketball court. 
actual suicides. But that had to cost you a couple of seconds stopping and re- I would think it would. Hey, what'd you run? Uh, 1505. Solo? Yeah. Wasn't your girlfriend riding her bike, Michael, or your fiance now? Not even. Yeah, just, no, just me. Um, I'm distracting myself from my, own, from my own question here. But what is it about being race ready all the time? And how can people help themselves like through these next few months when they don't really have much on the calendar? You always seem to be good at finding something, training for something, and always being in good shape. Since I've known you, I don't remember a time in which you couldn't pop probably like a 1530 on the snap of a finger. So what do you recommend to people and what do you do? um, to be ready all the time. So, you know, it's cliche, but like, if you really do enjoy the training, it it doesn't, it's not arduous. It's not something that you have to force that something I have to force myself to do. And I thought about that a lot during COVID, you know, everything gets canceled and just doing these workouts that I've been doing. It just, it's more fun. It's just cooler to be in shape. Like, I don't think it boils down to anything better more than that. It's just like better to be in good shape than it is to not be in good shape that's it 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 sounds you know really simple but that's kind of what i how i think of it i just like it better so the motivation to to get out i don't necessarily need anything that's extrinsic out there i i have reasons to why i like to do it it's ingrained in my life and it's just something that i'm gonna do as i like doing it when you're firing on all cylinders does it bleed into all aspects of your life are you like a better boyfriend and a better coach and a more pleasant human to be around or you're not one whose temperament changes bracken mentioned on a podcast a while ago that bracken was the more pleasant person i believe when you were doing what you need to do and training was going well i think your wife would make note of that bracken i mean mm-hmm. I for sure are you the same way i think i do compartmentalize it m- more than that like when i'm training i'm training and when i'm training i'm thinking about training and racing and when i'm not maybe not as much doesn't doesn't mean the other things i'm doing in life aren't to serve the performance aspect but it's not like that was an awesome workout. The the sky is bluer, like type of thing. Um, my sky is bluer. I kind of live life that way too. Yeah, my day is better afterwards for sure. Yeah. <laughs> the, the this is the first time I because I cranked up my miles through August and I got into the hundreds for like three or four weeks in a row, and that made life way worse. <laughs> the actual the actual training wasn't that bad when I was training. I was like okay, I'm happy here. And then outside of it, everything, I was just like a zombie. I went back and listened to a podcast that I recorded and I couldn't even speak. I was like, oh my God, I was so tired. I couldn't think well. I wasn't sleeping well. I just couldn't really keep up with the nutrition aspect of it either. Like I was no fun to be around. So it's definitely a balance on where is too far. But if I was not training at all, I'm sure I would be not very pleasant to be around. Cause sometimes I get that. I'm sure you guys get that. It's like, oh, I'm, I'm, kind of an asshole today like what's going on like I'm, I'm, i don't feel right it's like oh, i haven't run in like 36 hours like <laughs> i should probably go out and get, get those chemicals moving there's something about to say about doing too much so through injury that i've i've had and i'm on four and a half months without running um i know i was overtrained because now like you'd mentioned zombieing through life and sometimes mentally not sharp and little things i actually feel i hate to say it better yeah since i've been injured and that's a sign that i needed the break and my body broke down for a reason so it's just interesting to hear you say that you can even notice it filter into your life if you're a little overtrained. You not notice it big time. Yeah, even just peeling back the volume because I'm doing more intensity, trying to get ready for this. Like, and I just couldn't just layer on like these CrossFit style workouts into 100 miles a week, even to like 80 miles a week. You know, like I had to pull things back and kind of replace some things. But even just changing that, is, I felt way better. Like, <laughs> and it's like, uh, was definitely kind of over overstretched there. But what you, you gotta find to out now in volume for running. Um, probably around 70 miles a week. And doing two gym sessions, one quality running session. 
And and Rich can actually talk in miles per week versus hours because he's actually on flat terrain. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> one one quality run. Yeah, just about. You respond well to volume with just a dose of speed. Ideally, I would do two two sessions. Something that would be more specific to, or just something that's in line with a progression or specific to a race. Uh, but with the gym sessions, because they're like the intensity is up a little bit on there on those. I just want to be mindful of the recovery. But usually, I can handle two 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 speed sessions a week and crank it on the the mile like this mile pace stuff oh my god do you ever get do you ever get fast like that in training bracken do you do do mile pace i do mile pace when i do stadium work mm. i yeah. i don't have a specific reason other than the feeling in a stadium race versus the feeling of mile pace there's it's no just pace like, correlation, there's effort correlation dude the relative effort is something i respond really well to speed so i think that the results of the 10 miler last week was from like the three weeks of just like really fast, fast running. It just made the mile and faster work. Yeah, it's been terrible. Oh, like the the recovery's been so hard. Like really? really, like I'm just starting to not feel miserable. But you get so efficient at your stride afterwards. What are you shooting for? It feels great. Um, I think I think if I run, if things go well, I'm gonna get some spikes. I'm a little concerned about spikes. Kirk, would you put on spikes and go on a track and, and wear them? Bracken, I know you spike up. Yeah, I would. You would yeah, feel okay. Doing, I'm just worried. You can get yeah. away with flats. I have those the speed elites. I think that would be good on a track. You can get away with those, but if you want to run your fastest mile, and if you're going to be running faster than 4:30, I think you got to be in spikes. 4:30 mm -hmm. is kind of my cutoff pace. Like I don't think people in a 5K need to run in spikes unless they're going faster than 450 or 445 per mile. Yeah, but yeah, once you're under that. Yeah, so I think if I if everything goes well, I think I can get into I think I can get down to like the four twenty three is something that I think is reasonable. Like where I'm hitting the quarters is right around like what workout have you hit recently that would indicate that? Give it to the people. Um, yeah, I did six by six hundred uh, with six hundred recovery, so quite a bit. And I was coming through the quarters at like sixty five, and then kind of pushing finishing out that. I don't know what that total is for the actual 600 um, were you holding on to 65 second pace for the last 200 of each 600 you were pretty consistent pretty consistent like 137 and a half yeah yeah yeah. Roughly. yeah yeah that's a that's a great that's what we would shoot for back in college a lot of our milers and five cares three cares would shoot for those splits yeah so i think i might test one out maybe even this weekend or maybe early next week just to see what that last 300 feels like what that last 500 feels like that last 600 feels like i know yeah. i know Get one in or, or run a 12. I know. I, I would, do, I've had this workout that there was in college where it was like run 800, then 30 seconds rest, 400, 30 seconds rest, and then two by 200 with like 30. I don't know if I'd want to do something like that as opposed to just running a full mile just to see. Like instead of. We, we did the same thing. Did you? Tra like a, tra a traditional. We called it the traditional. And, and that was our indicator before race season started. Hmm. I know yep. we got cool ones like that. We just ripped up a bunch of twos and fours. Yeah. Which I, I believe in the tweener intervals. I believe the tweeners, the six, the fives, the sixes, the thousands. I think those are the bread and butter, the money work routes. I like those just because it's, there's not as hard of a, a pace associated with it. Like I said, I don't even remember what the 600s works. I don't really know, speak in 600s. You know, so it's like, I don't know. I just ran hard for 600 and didn't necessarily have anything weighing on me from some time that I had. Oh, I just want you to hit some two or 300s. Yeah, no, I finish. I usually finish after the 600s. I finish with like four by 200. Yeah. Okay. Sweet. The reason I like threes more than twos and fives or sixes more than more than fours is that we tend to run the twos and the fours as if it's kind of like 
an individual rep. Like you run the turn hard, you open up down the straightaway and you keep your long stride and you mm -hmm. just go through the finish where if you have to continue run another hundred, you kind of just run the same stride the whole time. Mm. And in a 400 down the home stretch, you're, you're not running your normal stride and you're finishing from 300 to 400. You're already anticipating the finish. But if you have to go through five, you kind of just run all the way through the line and keep running a rhythm rather than an interval. Hmm. I don't know if I'm describing that well, but rather than a, a ramp up, ramp down, it's just a steady effort the whole time when you do the tweener distances. That's a good point. Cause sometimes on quarters, I'll do my first hundred hard and like get up in front of it and do the last hundred easy. And that's like defeats the purpose, right? But like, yeah, but you can't do that in a five because right. you don't feel the same just mindset almost. So yeah, I like, I don't like it, but I like the tweener distances for giving a more true effort. Yeah. Are you putting, are you putting, so I'm just putting myself in your shoes. I can't run this thing, but are you putting hill work or short hill, spicy, powerful reps into your speed training? I'll do that maybe once every other week, just like 10 second sprints or something like that. Um, but you will find some sometimes, especially when it's something fast turnover, like I'll make sure to have some sort of hill strider or regular type of stride. Do you guys go strides or striders? Strides. I hate the word strider. Why? What's the matter? And I don't know why. You don't like once a runner? Too. That's what they say, once a runner. So Yeah, and it, and it was the douchiest part of the whole book. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of douchey parts too. Um, no way. Get out of here. <laughs> Anyways, what my last piece of mile training is that I firmly believe that hill sprints carry over to lap number three. During lap three is that tweener lap where lap one, you, you don't really know. It's not really a part of the race. You're just getting into mm -hmm. it and you're running off adrenaline. Lap two is settling in, starting to feel the work, but you're still running with people and thinking about your strategy. Lap three, all your adrenaline's gone. Your energy is starting to run low, but you're not close enough to be able to pick up, change your form and kick into the finish. And it's all about strength and power running hmm. and lot, and just avoiding form breakdown. And I feel like your hips and your glutes have to be able to drive on lap three. And I think that the hill work carries over specifically to the backstretch of lap three. And that's a really strange, specific uh, point to make, but I firmly believe that. That's a, it's an interesting way to think of it, to try to simulate what that feeling is going to be, be like without having to run 800 meters beforehand, you know, like being able to have that drive throughout because th I mean, that's lap three is slightly uphill in feeling. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Keep your stride open and still be able to drive those knees and maintain efficiency once yeah. you start filling up with that lactate. It's, uh, it's a tough. Yeah, I, I would throw one more to people listening. I know a lot of you guys are doing OCR stars. If you're an athlete of mine, I would the week or two before I would hands down prescribe you three by three by 400 meters. Um, 400 meters, 60 seconds rest, 400 meters, 60 seconds rest, 400 meters, three minutes rest. And the goal is to run goal mile pace on the first two and then two seconds faster than goal mile pace on the third. And then in the second set, you go goal mile pace, two seconds faster on your middle rep, and then goal mile pace on your third. And then on the last set, you start with two seconds faster than goal mile pace, and then hang on for those two last reps at mile hmm. pace. I know that's not really complicated, it is not. Um, that was our go-to season workout for the 1500 mile. And man, did that one sharpen you up like you wouldn't believe. Cause you get that three minute rest between sets of three, and you also are surging mid-set at some point in each of those sets of three. It's fantastic. I'd recommend anybody hit that three by three by four. I love meters. that. Yeah. I think I might have to get that. Do and getting a little bit of that overspeed work in too. Because again. Well, and then you but then it's still forcing you to go back into mile pace for another rep afterwards or two. And that's what the mile feels mm -hmm. like. So coach coach would overspeed us and then be like on that last set. We almost had, I'd say 50% of the guys he'd pull from that last set. 
because they would fall off after their overspeed first rep. Um, it, uh, I'm telling you, man, if you want to run well, it'll set you up to feel that pain once you get to that. It's a good second. way to get race ready too, to be able to, to, especially if you're going to like a championship season for like something that's going to be tactical. It's like, okay, we're going to have to go and pull back and, and, and make moves. Um, I'm just hoping to sit at one pace. Just that's right. <laughs> the mile's kind of like OCR where any big move that's made is a move against getting slower. Mm. Like there's not, you don't generally close with a crazy last 300. It's, it's a crazy last 300 of effort in a mile to not slow down much. And same thing in OCR. If you're cranking it down the last mile, you're raising the effort two notches just to not get slower. So true. And with the pacing of it, do you like, obvious, I think the best way obviously is just to knock off four in a row and just have it be even. Do you prescribe to go slower at first or harder at first? Or how would you like to see your splits or like the athletes you coach? Like what kind of splits you want to see? A little bit of a pyramid, very yeah. subtle. Yeah, like an I, I, of a pyramid. <laughs> I do a little pyramid and I think it depends on fast twitch versus slow. If you're fast, I like to get out a little bit, settle in, atrophy a little bit, and then crank it home. And actually negative split the, the fourth compared to the third. So my fastest laps would be fourth, first, second, third. Mm-hmm. And if you're a slow twitch, you just get out and grind at your best possible. <laughs> just just hope. Yeah. yeah. You definitely don't want to see like a 70 and then like an 81 and then like an, a 79 and like a 70 again. <laughs> yeah. You will. Look at this. He has a shitload of that. Uh, uh, this is this is uh, a guy that listens to the show and that I work with. His name is Mike Day. He's out of Chicago. He's an awesome guy. He's a big, strong, muscular guy, and he ran five thirty six for the first mile of Murph. Whoa! Really? With a vest? Yeah. And he went out in sixty. What? With a vest on? So he went sixty and then closed in five thirty six. What? He's like 185, 190 pounds. Did sixty and then ran five thirty six. <laughs> so a, imagine how painful that was, and b, imagine what he could have run by just running seventy fives or eighties. That should be the challenge. It should be like whoever can run the fastest four hundred and then hang on and somehow have some sort of uh, equation to to give the final score based on like the fastest. Like if you can run fifty five and uh. then finish in like. 502 <laughs> like that's a good score <laughs> going on oh, that just sounds so awful so anyways mike day i know you're listening shouts to mike day <laughs> no going out in 60 this time rich uh rich where can people uh obviously they can find you on your podcast the reinforced running podcast i think you are one of the good ones out there you also do a really good job of interviewing guests that not everybody thinks of interviewing the ones that have made the rounds already you do a good job of seeking out people that haven't been interviewed which is for, for fresh perspective. So give that a listen. Um, Reinforced running podcast. Where else can people find you if they want to reach, yeah, you can out, reach to you? out? You can check out some information on the website, reinforcedrunning.com and just on the socials, uh, reinforce underscore running underscore rich. Uh, that's I'll be on Instagram mostly. Um, Facebook, not as much. It's not, it's not very fun. Facebook. Especially not right no. now. <laughs> it's funny. Cause they, they show you what you'll see. Like they show you what you inter- interact with. So all mine is just OCR stuff. I don't really see any of the, the other shit, which is nice, uh, but Instagram's um, where to go. And folks listening, uh, let us know what you think about maybe some more nutrition focused uh, episodes with Rich. If that is, if you like what Rich has to say and think you could learn from him, which I think you could let us know if you'd be interested in maybe a more focused series or episode or two on um, some nutrition stuff that he could provide. Just send us a message or any way you want to comment on our next post or something like that. That would be great feedback for us. Rich, thanks for coming on. I'm looking forward to that 423 mile. 423. Two weeks from now? Yeah. 
It's coming. Three from now, lock them in for 423. Locked down. Got to get my spikes. If you get spikes. If you're not spiked up, you're going to be 426. I got a pair of Ventilus Plus, and I got an old <sighs> pair of Milers. I'd wear, the, honestly, I'd, I my last one I did in the Vent Pluses. You have a pair of Vent Plus, the green ones? No, no, sorry. I have Vent Plus, but I have the Vent Twos. The oh, Vent Twos are what I ran in. I don't run in the Vent Pluses anymore. I haven't run. I mean, those are the steeple shoe because they're all mesh. I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll see. Yeah, vent, vent Twos have more cushion to them. I never liked the Miler. No? I mean, I don't know. I like give, me the Kennedy. give me the Kennedy of old. Oh, get, your, get your hands on a pair of Kennedys. That'd be amazing. I have a pair of Kennedys. Do you? Yeah. Good for you. In fact, what the audience can't see is that I'm ripping apart the wall behind me right now. I'm refurnishing the studio and I'm going to have my hall of fame collection of shoes behind me. And so the Kennedys and the vent pluses will be up there. Wow. That's amazing. I like yeah. it. I put a set of Jasari's in there. I've never owned a Jasari. Jasari's. Oh, I sure did. Oh yeah, baby. All right. We are really bad at wrapping this episode up. <laughs> we, we we could go for another half hour. And start talking talking about about shoes. That's our mistake. And we're out. All right. All right. All right. Thanks, Rich. Thank you.